0: you mm-hmm.
1: October 7th 2020 and this is the first episode of psychology is dead since january and i'm recording it at six thirty eight in the morning the earliest i've ever recorded a podcast and people might be confused by that because usually i record late with brock or with tim it might be in the evening but with me today is i would say the golden boy of wrestling youtubers <laughs> right now my i
0: think that's a bit of an exaggeration <laughs> I, think most
1: people would, I think people
0: would agree with that
1: uh, my uh my friend the very talented uh joseph monticello is that is that did i butcher your name i hope i hope it didn't butcher it
0: uh you know it's about the same that most people say it's montecilio but Mont- close enough. montecilio known. i
1: apologize it's all right <laughs> but joseph like how are you we um got connected at some point earlier this year i believe and again like just like based on everything that i had grown to like learn about you through brock who you interacted with first it just made all the sense in the world to start talking to you and interacting with you and you've been such a pleasant person to have you know involved with our little uh, involved in our wrestling community and um more directly involved in our slack chat so thank you for being around and thank you for coming on today
0: yeah for sure uh thanks for having me uh it's actually interesting it it, it's it's this weird 2020 calendar where time is totally meaningless it's been almost a year uh that i've been part of the slack chat um can you imagine that it feels like it's been like five months it's ridiculous uh yeah, yeah it
1: still feels like i just met you
0: exactly it's so strange uh this whole calendar year has been ridiculous but yeah um people might not know this i've tried to bring it up when i can on twitter but i have been uh listening to psychology is dead before i ever met you or spoke to you uh directly online and the the year end lists that you do with tim and brock they were like these big events to me <laughs> like every every year when they came out I, I was ready to listen uh just to see all the wrestling that i've missed because you guys were watching stuff i'd never even heard of you guys introduced me to so many different wrestlers and i i still i still talk about those lists to this day like i i will message friends oh look at this wrestler of the year list uh that they did on this podcast who the hell is daniel Macabe and why is he number one right right like uh so it's it's kind of surreal to be guesting on the podcast now
1: no when you when you first told me that and you know me and brock have all have had people talk about how much they enjoy the year endless just because it's a it's a unique thing it's not something that's kind of like super commonly done within this wrestling bubble, the closest thing that we've had to this, the closest thing we've had to this is, uh, I guess when like they were doing the GWE shows over on, over on pro wrestling only and having those sometimes three, four show rundowns of people's top 100s, we would be getting that, but something yearly isn't a really common thing. And I felt like we had a uh, a, cor- a corner of the market and just like you know kept doing it and kept growing and it's always weird to me to see people who are like really looking forward to it and then you especially blew my mind because i'm looking at your work um uh, i'm seeing how i'm seeing how crisp it is i'm seeing how unique your style of uh wrestling youtubing is and to know that i guess that psychology is dead or the Dumb ramblings between like me and my friends was like some was somewhat of a big deal for you. Like was was real was really shocking to me.
0: No, it's 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 not even like a little bit of a big deal. Like I, it's like something I genuinely look forward to every year. And like I'm horrible. In that I didn't keep up with the regular podcasts that you guys would put out. But every time it was the year end list, even if I'd forgotten the name of the podcast or I'd forgotten your guys' name, I just knew, I knew which one it was. Like (laughs) whenever I saw it, whenever I started listening, I was like, oh, this is the one. This is the one I've been waiting for. And it's really genuinely opened my eyes to so much stuff. Um, Like, it's genuinely insane. Like, I'd never heard of Trevor Lee until the 2016 year end list. And after that, I had to watch all these, like, 40, 50, 60-minute matches from him.
1: <laughs> we, we, we apologize for that
0: one. <laughs> yeah, that, one, that one's on you. But, like, um, yeah. And you. another thing I, I have to blame you for is um, every time I get excited for a modern Shuji Ishikawa match... Is entirely your fault, um, <laughs> and uh, it's not been a good year for Big Shoes. Uh, okay, me, okay, to be fair, like
1: them. at least I've been like critical of him at least since twenty eighteen. Like at least I have been.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and but, but there was one year, wasn't he your twenty sixteen wrestler of the year? Am I remembering? Oh that, right?
1: no, no. twenty sixteen our wrestler of the year was Zach. Uh, but Shuj- wasn't that twenty seventeen? No, he Zach. I have, I had Zach wrestler of the year. Like back to back.
0: Oh, okay, I-, I know that. I know that he was very high on one of your lists. And Shuji, um, I-
1: Shuji in twenty sixteen, I
0: believe. If he wasn't top ten, Shuji was like top fifteen. That sounds right. That definitely sounds right. And it, it you know, it it stuck in my head where it was like, okay, this is a name where I kind of, I should kind of look forward to it if I ever get the chance to see one of his matches, and then. <laughs> You know, it's 2020. He's not having the best batches right now. He had a real stinker with Suwama a couple months ago. Uh, but yeah, that's the kind of uh, influence you guys like genuinely have on my wrestling fandom. You know,
1: like I, I, I'm, I'm the type of person that, listen, that listens back to like kind of whatever kind of audio I do. I'm just i I'm just a sicko in the head in, in that mm-hmm. in that regard. And something that I want that I wanted to do lately is I want to go back. And listen to like the year end stuff, and see how badly some of the some of my takes age, and then see how bad and then see how well a lot, a lot of them age. And I would I would really be interested in going back and doing that. Like obviously, a lot of the European people that mm. I that I've heard that I praise so much, and that me and Tim praise so much, some of those might not you know look so good right now in yeah, October twenty twenty. Not,
0: not looking great for you guys. That the, <laughs> the UK indie guy is not. Not the best market to be uh, investing your stock in right now. Yeah,
1: yeah. But on, on to you. I mentioned how kind of interesting I found your work once I once I came across it. So, Joe's Well, let me let me let me. I'm getting getting ahead of myself. We're. I'm calling this episode the Art of Adjustment, and it's mainly focusing on the COVID era of wrestling that we're in right now and all the adjusting the companies have had to do from America to Japan to Japan in order to even run, and there's stuff going on in other places like you know the, Mex- the how, how how much the Mexican scene is, impact, is impacted by this, and I'm here like coming from you, like, I'm curious to do it with you because. You more than anyone, I feel like, covering wrestling right now, despite how fucked up of a year 2020 has been, I feel like you've put forth a lot of effort into still making it feel like a year worth covering. So even if you will do your 1990 best of the best of the year or your or your or your, or your Kings Road videos, I still get the impression from you that you're still trying to make sure that 2020 is a documented year despite everything that's going on. So I thought that was appropriate to have you on uh for this for this conversation. Going back to what I was gonna say before that, is that uh getting introduced to your work, I've heard of video essayists, but never in wrestling. You know, video video essayists will be the people that do the Philosophy of videos on wisecrack, or like the uh, the meaning behind uh, whatever Marvel movie, and explaining whatever nuance that might have been missed, and stuff like that. And those are people who will typically get called like video essayists. For you, that's not a common thing in the professional wrestling world, uh, in a, a space inhabited by a tons of podcasters and tons of YouTubers and tons and tons of live streamers. You decided to go for something that wasn't really um, a common thing, especially in the way that you do it. We've had people who make new, who made New Japan videos like Showbuckle, him explaining a character's arc and the meaning of certain things, but you do that a little bit more all across the board and mix in your own opinion. And I was wondering, what made you take that approach in order to getting involved in wrestling media or wrestling fandom beyond just being a fan on Twitter? What made you go the route of being a video essayist for wrestling?
0: Well, the interesting thing is that I was definitely doing the videos before I got, uh, like, really on to Twitter. Like, I've had the account since I was, you know, a kid, like, really young, decades ago, stuff like that, right? But uh, it, it went untouched for years, like, years on end. And I really only got back into Twitter as kind of like a vehicle to help grow the channel. Um, As for what actually got me starting to do the video essays, uh, you know, you bring up uh, Showbuckle and Real Neat Puro. Mm -hmm. And it it was definitely those guys where I was watching their stuff. And I thought, oh, okay, so it can be done with wrestling. And like you mentioned, those videos were more like primers. Uh, it was it was rarely editorialized. It was usually very informative and factual. Um, they would analyze booking trends. Uh, they would explain the story, usually within the realms of kayfabe, but uh, with just enough shoot information that it felt. Uh, you know, real. And it, it it helped me understand New Japan Pro Wrestling. Uh, I wasn't a huge fan until those videos came out uh, because it really helped me understand the landscape of what that company was trying to do. Or at least what these essayists were uh, presenting as what the company was trying to do. And I have been a fan of, you know, movie video essayists. People like Lindsay Ellis, um... Every Frame of Painting when they were still regularly uploading. Like, I really enjoyed that genre of YouTube. So I was like, well, you know, I I I can do this. I think a lot of the stuff I try in life, it it all boils down to me just kind of enjoying something and then thinking, well, I can do this. (laughs) Um, So I just try to find something uh, uh, worth talking about. I think I reviewed, like, a... Local Filipino match because no one was reviewing local Filipino matches. And, oh, my God, just everyone in the local scene got mad at it. It was, like, a huge thing for some reason. This
1: this was was the Jeff Uh, Cobb match, right?
0: No, not even. This was uh, a local match. It was Jake DeLeon versus Zayden Trudeau. So, like, completely homegrown guys. And um, it's not a great video. I'll give them that. It's not a great video. It was, like, four minutes, which is, like not nearly enough to say anything about any kind of match um, at least in the way I was trying to approach it Um, basically people in the independent scene were like oh you have no idea what you're talking about you don't even go to the live shows Uh, how could you say anything and that kind of scared me off of talking about wrestling for a long time Uh, and then I started watching the Okada Omega trilogy the two out of three falls matches and I thought I I can kind of pick this apart just kind of Throw in my two cents and I just kind of kept going from there whenever whenever the inspiration struck. Like I think it was a few months after Okada Omega, uh, my video on that dropped that I was like, maybe I'll just do something like really like long and like just really go into like in-depth detail about like one thing. And of course it, it was going to be Daniel Bryan. So I just took like a couple weeks to push that out and I was really happy with the result and um, people who were able to see it were pretty happy about how it came out too so I just stuck to it and it just kind of went from there I just kept doing it regularly and I'm obviously still doing it now and trying to grow the channel to however I can um, letting people know how I feel about pro wrestling
1: See, like this, I think that's what made me gravitate to your work because you are someone that genuinely, really, really cares, and it sh- and it shows in your work. You care to put spotlights spotlights on people that you feel like are underappreciated or don't get the the credit that you think they deserve, and you have no problem propping them up and making sure that they, they even they know how much you how much you appreciate what they do. I think for I think for me that. Yeah, like yes, yeah, Showbuckle and Real Neat Puro showed that there is a way to do it, but it almost felt like it was all it was only able, it was only possible because it was New Japan, and that if someone else wanted to do it, it was only possible because it was WWE. I, I think seeing you do it and like you know, talking about Eddie Kingston and talking about fucking Thomas Shire versus um. Fred Yeah Yeah Like to, Versus Jay Or Any Or Tom Or Thomas Shy Versus Versus Gary, Gary J, And mm-hmm. Being Able To Fit Those Kind Of People And Those Kind Of Matches And That Kind Of Obscurity Into Those Video Essays Is What I Feel Like make, Like make, Like Makes Your Work So Fascinating To Me It, it, it like, like I Guess The Kind Of Feeling That You Get From Like The psycholo- From The Psychology Is Dead That's How I Get As I uh, If I Was A Newer Fan Watching your, watching your videos to someone that was less aware of these people I'd be viewing your work as super essential in the learning about these people because you come you, you are you are super knowledgeable you do approach you do approach with a lot of love and care and is it like I I'm like halfway joking when I say that you're the golden boy of wrestling of, of wrestling YouTube right now maybe five thousand or six thousand subscribers whatever whatever it is that you have isn't the most isn't the most in the world but just as far as the support whenever you drop something i just i just always watch it and see that and feel like yeah at some point joseph is going to have a real have a really really big video that just like knocks the socks off everybody
0: <laughs> well uh that's very kind and you know hopefully maybe um but you kind of hit the nail on the head there where uh i absolutely was inspired by psychology is dead and the year end list that Uh, you've been working so hard on throughout the years. Um, I really wanted, like, genuinely, those were the lists, the podcasts in my head where I was thinking, I really want to capture this kind of sense of discovery um, for wrestling that is difficult to be found. Like, uh, even someone like me, who I've been on the internet, uh, you know, I'm... I'm in my 20s I, I live on the internet uh, and I've been a wrestling fan since I was a little kid it, so especially, especially like, for
1: the work you do like you gotta you have to live on the internet especially for like, yeah. work, like for your real life occupations
0: yeah f- exactly um so it's like I've I really have access to these things but these independent companies these workers uh even some of the major Japanese stuff it was still incredibly hard for me to ever even hear about like there were so many names that um when i first listened to your podcast i was like how is this a person that exists and is in the top 20 (laughs) right like it would really knock me back it really uh showed me how much i didn't know and i thought that was such um an important experience to capture uh because there's you know there's a million youtubers talking about the wwe and aew and new what, japan what, the what, big what three does, what
1: does it mean that alexa bliss and the fiend
0: are together now <laughs> oh, my man don't odd oh, <laughs> getting me started early but but yeah you know th- those those videos are incredibly common obviously they still take a lot of hard work to create and make but uh everyone's doing it and uh It's easy to see why, you know, you want to get the clicks, you want to get people. People will more often search WWE Alexa Bliss than they'll ever search, like, Thomas Shire SLA, right? Exactly. So, I completely understand the urge to do that. But I really wanted to capture something different. And even at the time, it wasn't ever about, like, well, I got to be different, like, in the market or or in YouTube. It was... Really very much about, well, this is what I like Mm. discovering. This is the content that I enjoy. And, well, I can do that, right? Uh, It it all came back to that mindset. So I I tried to focus myself on that. My energies on matches that people could find and basically just trying to lead people towards these avenues and platforms of wrestling that they maybe had never heard of before, where there's so much uh, so much to be loved, so much to enjoy, just a ton of hidden gems. Like, we have been friends for about a year now, and we generally know who we like, who we dislike, like our preferences as fans, the two of us. But a lot of those people are just not on the general fans' radar, like at all. Like, they're so common to us and so many people just don't know about them even a little bit and i thought that it was really important to just kind of well not important but you know if i want if i was going to do something about wrestling i wanted it to be about something that could help people discover new wrestling
1: like like you know what it is is that you get so used to your own bubble of people and interacting with the same people over and over again that have the same opinions and tastes as you or, or watch the same things as you, that you just kinda of assume that everyone knows who somebody is. And like there is I think I overestimate the amount of people that would know who
0: Speedball Mike Bailey is. Like You you definitely do. Uh I don't think that's really a household name for even like internet wrestling fans. Yeah like, and I like
1: and, and like I'm watching Speedball and I think he's the most amazing fucking thing in the world and think about everything that he did when he when he was in the United States and everything he's done since then. You know, I think of Speedball and everyone else that likes Speedball and watches Speedball and think, oh yeah, Speedball is one of the best wrestlers in the world. But like, the reality is that most people aren't watching him.
0: Yeah, no, exactly. And you know, I still, I still have this experience like semi-regularly in the Slack chat where someone will just bring up Uh, a wrestler or a match from whenever it could have been like (laughs) two years ago or 1992 just whenever as if it's the most obvious thing in the world and I'm sitting there like what What (laughs) What are you talking about but
1: but that's the thing is like you gotta realize and you're kind of like kind of like that too I was gonna ask you about like being being on PWO and being like a younger person on PWO which is something that I experienced too I'm uh 23 and when I when when I was going on PWO, around the, around the time of GWE, I'm I'm like eighteen nineteen years old, and that was a completely new world of talking about wrestling for me. And I'd been on forums, I had been on uh, more WWE centric ones, I'd been on the I'd been I'd been on the VOW forum, and going to the PWO one was just like a entirely new world, and especially being that young where like. Yeah, I, I watch a lot. Of, I watch a lot of wrestling already by that point, but once I get the PWO, it's like, oh shit! Like, yeah, I, I, there's I, a I, whole world. like yeah, like, yeah, like I don't know wrestling until I watch fucking 19, 1979 Ed, Ed Ed Waskowski and Buddy Rose tag team matches.
0: Like- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, uh, I definitely had that experience, um, but it was not on PWO actually. Um, I had that experience a little younger. I was in high school, I believe, probably 13, 14, and it was puroresu.tv. Okay. Um, and some people will remember puroresu.tv uh, for their very unique uh, application of the star rating system, where instead of rating things out of five stars, you were expect. It, it was kind of like an unspoken standard on the forum. That you had to rate a match out of a hundred and convert it into stars from there <laughs> um, because they used to do a yearly match of the year um, thread and I, I, I still remember this the rule was you should only post you should only nominate a match for the match of the year thread if you believe it is a 75% or higher which translates roughly into three and three quarter stars, and like that, that standard is like still present in how I talk about wrestling. My match of the year thread on Twitter is three and three quarter stars plus, specifically because of that. Yeah, I, I, and I right. remember. Yeah, sorry. Uh, I remember being on uh TV at the time, and that's when I first started hearing names about you know, Tanahashi and Okada. And that was kind of like the first step of learning about New Japan and other Japanese uh, companies. I had already started learning about 90s All Japan at that time. But um, I got to give a shout out to Puroresu.tv because they also kind of influenced my video essays. Um, really one okay. of the one of the admins uh, on Puroresu.tv... Uh, He posted a video, which was essentially just a video essay, uh, just without, like, all the clips and stuff. It was him talking into a camera, and occasionally there'd be some text coming up on the screen. And the video was called, Is John Cena a Great Worker? And this came out in 2011, when uh, backlash against Cena was still pretty high. How how, how old were you by this point? Uh, 2011, I must have been, what, 13, 14? Okay. And so the backlash against Cena was still pretty high, of course. That's why he was, you know, the biggest heel in the world in Chicago. And so this guy, th- this video was kind of directly addressing the hype behind Money in the Bank 2011, and basically saying, well, you guys, you guys are saying that oh, Punk pulled out this great uh, match out of Cena. And the whole thesis of the essay was basically, um, John Cena's an amazing wrestler. He's like a great all-timer wrestler and y'all you are all missing uh the forest for the trees here and he talked about I, I remember it so clearly he talked about the number of john cena's great matches he said well you know if you look at john cena's history he had this amazing match against umaga at, at royal rumble 2007 and then he would say stuff about like well I can, I can john C- i can
1: name a thousand matches better but you know
0: you're so wrong about it you're, <laughs> you're, you're you're immediately wrong but uh and then he would he would point out the the nerd bait leg selling john cena did against ray mysterio and that video always stuck with me uh and i think that in its own way kind of festered in my mind and translated into my work uh down the line but yeah puroresu.tv it kind of introduced me to a lot of different ideas like the idea that jerry lawler is a goat contender to many people uh came to me first from puroresu.tv the thing about that forum is that it just it closed down Mm. you can't find it anymore uh i should probably try looking for it on like the wayback machine or something see if anything survived but when i found pwo it was sort of like a substitute where uh by the time i found it by like googling all Japan matches and then the match thread review would be exactly. in the Google yeah, reserve. Yeah, yeah. Yep, that's exactly how I discovered it. When I found it, I was like, Okay, this is like the old place I was at, I'll just move here. And so wrong, uh, <laughs> so,
1: so, so <laughs> wrong. <laughs> you, you hear all this great stuff about the four pillars, probably over there. Next thing you know, yeah, man, I don't like, really like K- Kenta Kibashi. he cries too much. Like, fucking what? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, you know, there's always a lot of takes uh, that come out of these forums, and you know, you, you take it or you leave it. I, I'm I'm gonna hold my hands up and say I've probably absorbed like a bunch of takes and opinions from these forums, and some of them I'm either still unlearning or uh, they're just like trapped somewhere where I haven't dug them up yet. But these these were the tastemakers for me.
1: I'm not gonna lie, like for for me. Um, and I've, I've always, like, said this about Dylan, but, like, when I first heard Dylan Hales, like, <laughs> like, in hearing him, the way he talked about wrestling, I was like, dude, I don't know if he's a troll or not, like, fuck, how do I, like, <laughs> like, like, like how, do I, how do I decipher anything that he says? And you're like, oh, like, you know, <laughs> so people have different tastes, and they have different ways of viewing wrestling, so, like, while Dylan obviously likes Japanese wrestling, like he likes different shit, he has a lot of different stuff that he likes, and he has his own biases to he'll admit, and he has his own like taste to he'll admit, but I remember like, Dylan being really like that main person that just knocked my fucking doors off when I first heard him talk about wrestling, especially with wrestling especially <laughs> with wrestling culture, I don't know if you ever like heard those podcasts, him and Dave Musgrave but
0: the... you know, I genuinely might have yeah, uh, but I can't say for sure,
1: yeah, and then like I don't know, like, subconsciously, like, because, like, psychology is dead, get, will we'll get compared to wrestling culture all the time. And, like, even if it's not intentional, like, it might be a subconscious thing just because of, like, how much of an impact wrestling culture had on me.
0: Yeah, these things come back. They, they, they stick around in your head, and you don't really realize it until someone kind of presents you with an alternative. Like, um, I was... I was most active on PWO from around, I want to say, twenty fifteen to twenty seventeen. Uh, I think those were those were like the those were the years where it was still a little more active than it is right now, and people were just posting matches that I've never heard of. And the my main experience with PWO outside of the match reviews were the weekly uh, WWE TV threads. Yeah, those yeah, are still yeah. going, and. You know th- those threads kind of convinced me that WWE is great. <laughs> 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 like uh, my my uh, my view of great wrestling was kind of kind of narrow in the mid to 2010s, uh, towards the late 2010s, because that's what was being talked up. I-, I had fallen out of following the big American indie companies. Uh, I-, I wasn't seeing a lot of PWG. I was definitely not watching ROH anymore. So it was kind of like, well, you know, Roman Reigns. He's the wrestler of the year. Yeah, there's, there's, Roman, there's Roman Reigns guy might be the best wrestler in the world. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure I genuinely believed that at some point. And, you know, depending on if, when I'll do my 2010s rewatches, I might still think that about one of those years between like 2016 and 2019 i would i'm, I'm, and... not, I'm not
1: off the top of my head if you wanted to give him like 2015
0: 2015 would make the most sense i would imagine yeah, if, if
1: you wanted to give him 2015
0: i wouldn't be mad at that
1: i, w- I wouldn't be mad at that one but now as you say this and like before we move on into talking about the uh, actual uh topic for the topic for the episode everyone has a breaking point with WWE. i say this mm. all the time Everyone, unless you're an insane Fed superfan, like everyone has the moment that just breaks them, and you realize this is not worth following week to week. I am done with this. I'm going to keep this at a distance. I will not get mad at this. This is beyond anything that makes this. Be, this makes me angry and frustrated beyond anything else on the world right now. I can't do this. For me, I always admit. Rumble 2015. Not like, not not just cuz Brian got eliminated, but it is genuinely the worst match of all time. It is
0: Still never seen it. I take pride in that. Dude,
1: you have to watch it at some.
0: Everyone ge- has said genuinely, it. Genuinely.
1: It is the worst. <laughs> I think it's the worst wrestling match of all time.
0: Wow. Okay, that's the worst wrestling match of all time happened this year. But Okay, let
1: me let me explain why. Like I'm not talking about in terms of something being bad, like the work was bad and like the mechanics. Like I mean, all time bad in the sense that literally no aspect of this match is defensible. There's nothing fun about this. <laughs> there's nothing intriguing about this. Nothing. No one came out for the better for this. Everyone just was completely angry and apathetic and fed up after this. You like, I don't, not only did like, the stuff with Brian and the completely tone deaf booking, of Roman Reigns, excuse me, compared to the year before in 2014, when he comes out and he's like this big ass kicker, 2015, he pretty much does nothing. it um, just the slow losing of hope, as everyone that's more over than Roman Reigns gets dumped out of the match, from Ziggler to Ambrose to Bryan, is this slow losing of hope every time it happens. Followed by, you know, like in, in conjunct in conjunction with Kane and the fucking Big Show, dominating the Royal Rumble <laughs> in
0: 2015. Tell me, it's sort of a microcosm but, of being a WWE fan, isn't it? It is. Like, I don't think there's a more accurate representation of
1: watching right. WWE and how stubborn they are and how than the slowly losing of hope. Yeah. Like so. Like for me, I think that's <laughs> the worst wrestling match of all time, and that was my clear. Break off point, fuck this, I can't do it. Like do you like do you have one of those?
0: I remember I, I, I remember a bunch of times that I've been really, really mad at the WWE. Um the peak of it was probably in high school. Uh wrestling had a bit of a resurgence uh in my social circle uh or at least locally around twenty eleven. Because uh, WWE programming came back to one of the major channels that had been. that had either stopped broadcasting or people stopped getting the channel. And when it became part of like the regular cable package that everyone had, people were watching WWE again. Uh, And it, it was a good time also. Like excellent timing for WWE programming to come back into our little milieu. Because, you know, Summer of Punk, it was like the biggest thing, completely blew my mind. Uh, It was the most invested I'd been in wrestling in years. And I remember just the confusion and pain of Night of Champions that year. (laughs) Where where just this clear-cut story just got so muddled in just the weirdest way. Where now... Miz and r-truth are involved for some reason and they also like ended hell in a cell that way it it was so bizarre and just painful i think one of i think one of the other times where it really hit was i want to say 2013 uh I, i i'm almost certain it was 2013 yes it was 2013, and it was Money in the Bank, and Randy Orton won instead of Daniel Bryan. Mm, yeah, and I I remember just being so hurt. I think I think I was yelling at people at school the next day after the results came out, where I was like, "This is, you know, this is the worst booking decision ever. They don't know what's in front of them. They have no idea what they were doing." And obviously, Bryan had his big moment uh a couple months after that and then again at WrestleMania the next year but th- that at that point I was really just kind of completely bewildered by the company's inability to just book basic common sense and I think I've always had a decent uh distance from the WWE since then um but they had a few they had a few good goodish Years towards the end of the decade, okay, that kind of brought me back in a little bit.
1: So, you call yourself a WWE WWE fan right now, or is it you know,
0: oh god, no, it's horrible. Okay, okay, (laughs) it's so bad right now in 2020. 2020 is the worst time to be a WWE fan.
1: here's, Here's the thing you say that, and then it feels like every year. We've called we've called like from twenty from twenty eighteen to twenty nineteen, and so now we've called like every WWE year, like in the last three years, the worst year
0: ever, and like somehow <laughs> somehow it keeps getting worse. That's Vince for you, man. But like, uh, you know, I can't imagine living in this hell world where there's a global pandemic, people are dying horrible injustices are being committed left and right all over the world. Tragic, tragic, tragic deaths of, like, (laughs) iconic figures. (laughs) Absolutely. And you take your joy from WWE TV? (laughs) Like, I cannot picture that. Like, I'm so happy for you if you're able to do that. Like, that's your moment of respite in this horror. But, um... Boy, I bet you'd be happier watching something else like that's just that's just my opinion like I am willing to bet that that person might just be happier watching something else, and they don't know it yet
1: you 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 mentioned it and you talk about w- you know like everything going on in the midst of this global pandemic now um a lot of the uh uh equality. Uh, issues going a, a lot of the equality issues going on, a lot of the racism issues going on, and I'll be I'll be I'll be honest. Like at least for me, it's really it's been really tough trying to come back to wrestling and find the will to talk about it, especially when when wrestling was still trying to find its footing and trying to figure out how to even exist in 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 this in this space and in this time, and like, you know, being, uh, being a being a being a being a young black man in America, and you know my ever you know changing views of the world and of you know uh, you know and just socially and philosophically, um, it just became less and less important to watch wrestling. Es- excuse me, especially when you couple on the speak the speaking out movement that was going on on top of this. Um, so I guess. For you, someone that you know, you're not, you're not in America, and not to say obviously that like, you don't care about these things, like these things don't like aren't like aren't affecting you as much. But being someone that's relatively so far away from where, from where from where all from where all of this is happening, and from where from where all of this is like you know such a like, such a big deal, and like you know obviously not COVID. COVID is everywhere, and COVID should be treated seriously wherever it is in the world. But just everything that's been going on in the world uh how do you still find it in you to go and watch wrestling and not only watch wrestling create content of it create content for it keep up with your match of the year list because i know for some people who don't do that kind of stuff it might seem like oh it's not that hard to want to keep up to keep up with your match of the year list but for me even even when i'm even when i'm not in a of the of the world fucking falling apart I still have a hard time remembering or wanting to put in my star ratings into my into my spreadsheet. So, imagine how hard it is now when my entire will is being drained from me because I'm seeing these COVID numbers spike. Because I'm seeing unarmed Black people getting killed for no reason. Like the last thing I want to do is talk about wrestling. So, how how did, how did you really? manage to keep going with all this stuff?
0: Well, for me, it was my sort of escape. Like, I felt... Um, it was easier for me to be watching wrestling than to not be watching wrestling. Uh, does that make sense? Right. Like, it, it had become such a part of my routine at that point it's, it's like it's like, a, where... it's like a it's like a blanket
1: it's like you know
0: yeah it's always like you know no matter
1: what and like it, it always was that for me at you know from for most of my life too is that if anything was going wrong i could still find solace in watching wrestling it's just this one time i don't know i found solace like reading or like research or researching certain stuff but otherwise I'm totally with you that wrestling has always been like that comforting thing
0: no absolutely and you know uh, for me it was kind of the opposite where so much media dropped off the face of the earth for me and wrestling just kind of took up that void where like I I, I maintained a book book list last year of just on twitter just to keep track of what I had read for the year I read like 14 Fourteen-ish books last year, and this year I'm on like my fourth. So like that that habit just like completely evaporated. And I'm, I'm on my I'm I on just, my fourth
1: I, too, but I think I've only I've only started like you know doing the serious reading since May though.
0: Right, but like for me, it was just something that I could do, something that I enjoyed doing. Uh, the channel was growing through the year, and I really wanted to fuel it. Uh, I felt really motivated talking about wrestling, discovering wrestling. So it was just kind of something that, uh, it, it helped me keep busy. Uh, it was something that I enjoyed doing that was sort of fulfilling to me. And that just kind of drove me on. Um, a video that I think showed
1: how. You can address certain things going on in the world and still make it about wrestling. Was I guess your sort of infamous video on capitalism and WWE, but you know I've, I'm not I'm not sure is that is that still up on your YouTube?
0: Yeah, it is. That that one's still up.
1: Okay. Um. So what what headspace were you in when you decided? Because normally like the, normally the Joseph I talk to and the Joseph that gets presented in the videos is joseph is cheery like you know kind of like you know very optimistic about wrestling and he's going to talk about the wrestling he likes he's not here to shit on anything he's not here to do that he might he might he might have so he doesn't like but like you know what's the point in doing that when i'm here to talk about the things that i do like and the things that i do enjoy and tonally it was a completely different version of you more dejected and tired sounding uh it wasn't accompanied by music the way that your usual videos are. And one, what kind of what headspace were you in when you decided that fuck it, I I feel like this is an important video to make. And two, was the change in approach and tone and, and delivery a deliberate thing for you?
0: Well, it was it was definitely a rough time uh locally, politically. Um See, before the capitalism video, there was another video that I put up that had a similar tone uh, to it. Uh, it was also uh, very political, like its entire thesis was about how everything is political, even pro wrestling, and how can that, how that translates to pro wrestling. And that video is not on my channel anymore because the subject of that video was David Starr and um, how... He was kind of silenced by the WWE and blacklisted and all this stuff because of his union work. And obviously, we all know the ending to that story. Uh, You know, David Starr was outed uh, as a sexual abuser by former partners. And when that happened and it kind of sparked the speaking out movement, I was kind of I was definitely in a headspace where it was like, uh, no one really needs to hear from me right now. Uh, like, that's the last thing anyone needs to hear right now is me just doing a video on some match I liked. So I took a little break after the that video. And then just more news just kept coming out about, you know, the, the COVID outbreaks in the WWE locker room and just all these different things coming together about the poor handling of... Just general worker safety the, in that the, company.
1: The the, the the mass firings and the excuse. Yes, in, absolutely. In, and the excuse given for the mass firing.
0: You know, while they're still like breaking records on their profits and stuff, and it it just upset me. Uh, it, it was something that I, I I felt like I could talk about with some sort of uh, gravity, at least when it came to wrestling. Uh, Because uh, I I studied in a very I studied in a very politically active university here in the Philippines Uh, uh, I I studied in UP Deliman uh, The University of the Philippines And it's a school known for its role in student activism And uh, being a very vocal uh, catalyst in local politics And even though I, I I wasn't like the most vocal person politically at school, uh, being in that kind of environment really instilled a lot of a lot of my worldview and personal philosophies and politics, and I felt like that was something I could translate into discussing wrestling and present something you know just a little more, uh, perhaps substantial than just discussing why i liked a particular match and it felt like a good time to remind people that all the bad things happening in the world have kind of these root causes that affect everyone and everything and nothing that you think is separate from it is ever actually separate from it not not even something that is Culturally considered to be as silly and ridiculous as wrestling. If anything, wrestling is hit harder because of its reputation of being silly and a dumb, low form of entertainment. There's less regulation, there's less discussion about it in kind of like more serious tones, you know. People in the dirt sheets will talk about wrestling from a wrestling standpoint, from the perspective of wrestling fans wrestling promoters etc and i thought i could talk about this one thing at least in a larger context where it can fit as like a case study for something that's far worse going on
1: um would you say the reception reception to the video was mostly positive i i saw a lot of people well not a lot I mean, a lot would be uh probably over- overselling it there um but I saw some people in the comment section who weren't particularly fond of you, quote unquote, making things political. And
0: oh yeah, there's always going to be those people, right?
1: And I guess for you as a content creator, as someone that hopefully like you want like you want to be, like I think as everyone knows you want to be able to you know monetize and stuff eventually and make money doing a thing that you do doing a thing that you love but do those kind of comments and reactions sometimes scare you off
0: from making that kind of content? Maybe subconsciously it does a little bit. Um, But I feel like it's never, like, occurred to me to just actively stop talking about politics or anything. Um, It was a one-time video, mostly because I I felt like I had covered most of what I wanted to say about how capitalism... Affects wrestling in 2020 specifically uh, for the WWE. But it's not an active choice where I said, well, I'll never talk about politics again. If the topic comes up and I feel like I have something to say, uh, then I'm absolutely gonna do it because I feel like that kind of discussion is like severely lacking in mainstream wrestling media. I feel like, it's important to put wrestling in larger contexts outside of just this particular lens that we have, you know, subconsciously taken on from people who control the narrative. You know, people in the wrestling media, people in the WWE who can control so much of what we believe and think we know about wrestling. And it, it, it deserves to be looked at um fairly in that kind of way
1: when covid first started to impact wrestling the imme- imme- immediately wwe decides to use their political connections and get deemed as an essential business by so stupid. by governor that makes me so mad my governor and uh in florida uh AEW another major uh network television show from what i understand internally at AEW wasn't their decision but TNT was insistent on them still running a um shows for AEW um and then everywhere else uh breaks had to be enforced obviously uh WrestleMania weekend for everyone for for anyone everyone that wasn't WWE had to be completely change and uh delayed and postponed uh new japan didn't didn't run didn't run shows didn't run shows for a little bit same thing for cmll and and, in in the uk wrestling really hasn't been uh much much of a thing currently either other than rev pro who has been who's been who's been running who's been running more recently uh when you look at the immediate impact of covid and the ways a WWE or a TNT uh, work you know try, you know tried to work around it and the impact that it might have had on other scenes you know in, in, in Mexico it's had a really big impact on 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 in, on indie wrestlers and even then in Mexico, a lot of the performers aren't getting paid very well and a lot of them would go to the US for bookings and that's not entirely possible right now right now right now for them either even them still trying to work through COVID. Uh, The Anniversario card just had four different people who tested positive for COVID and the Anniversario card had to get changed. And just from, from your perspective, how do you feel about these companies, these corporations, whatever you want to call them? How do you feel about the adjustments they've made initially
0: trying to work through COVID? Um. I just generally find it, uh, really irresponsible to be running any kind of wrestling show right now. Like, uh, I think I brought this up in that video you mentioned, and I've discussed this with some friends, people in Slack, people outside of that chat, and I've kind of decided that it's sort of not worth the time. Picking the lesser evil Among the companies You know uh, Like we can sit here and talk about Well this company had these measures in place And this company is running a bubble Or all of that But the fact of the matter is That anyone running a professional wrestling show In 2020 Is taking an unnecessary risk That is placing the lives of production wrestlers promoters fans uh in danger like there's no other way to say it is that anyone at a wrestling show might get a disease that could kill them and people congregating at wrestling shows might spread a disease that they don't know they have and give it to someone that could die from it Like, these are the very real stakes right now. It's literally life and death. And we don't need wrestling. So, I've been very against any company running shows in 2020. I think it's a bad idea. And whoever made the call to do it, um, I hope they know what they're doing is all I can really say about that because there are just so many different factors that could go horribly wrong like just one person one person can do so much real life damage yeah uh that it's it, it it's crazy that you would take that risk anywhere in the world at any time <laughs> like... especially for like the
1: physical nature of wrestling like you know these sweaty people like you know you know touching like you know touching like touch, touching each other uh sweat when they're talking slapping like, hands with fans slapping hands with, slapping hands with like with fans or even each other or other uh staff members behind like in the, in the in the production department um when they talk and like you know spit can fly out and hit somebody you know even even something like that and all of it is such an irresponsible and selfish thing and that gets back to you know your idea of capitalism you your you know what you said with capitalism is it's so selfish and greedy and whenever i watch wwe or anyone for that matter you know I, I feel like they're the biggest biggest offenders but anyone still running right now clearly it is coming from a place of we still want to make money well you know that's, that's 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 everybody but especially in the way that WWE has done it you just look at them i don't and it's, for me it's hard not to be disgusted especially early on and the kind of ignoring it ignoring of what they tried to do uh never mentioning covet on air and just acting like things were just happening just because because in WWE land they can they control the narrative they control the world Outside circumstances don't exist. It's only WWE that controls why these things are happening. In that blatant way of trying of like almost propaganda and ignoring it and the mass firings and the cap and the capitalizing off of someone's real pain and hurt at being fired from their dream job and only hiring them back because their story was good. It just Whenever I whenever I see anything from WWE in this bubble, in this new in this new light, and granted, again, yeah, like WWE has always been shitty. Like that's that's not a new thing. We've talking about a company that company that's literally covered up murders. For sure. Like we're not acting like these are good people here, but in the midst of a global pandemic that's killed hundreds of thousands of people, here you are in. You still want to control it and do things on your time, in the and because you have contracts to fulfill, you have content to create, and obviously it goes it goes beyond WWE. It goes to NBC. It goes to Fox. It goes to people that they have these deals with and these broadcast these, how these broadcasting deals with that they're expecting. You know they're they're paying them this money, so they're expecting a certain amount of content, and it's all just a really fucked up game, a fucked up way. Of dealing with real life circumstances, uh, especially with the lack of testing, did it, did, it, did it always seem like they were they were giving the performers and staff? You know, at least with the NBA and the NBA bubble, which I'm not I'm not sure how, fam- how familiar you are with that, but NBA teams usually carry about 13, 14 players on their roster, and going into the bubble. They limited limited the amount of coaches that would travel to the bubble. No family, no add-on people at first came to the bubble. It was only the roster and the essential coaching and maybe ownership in the GM. And they were getting tested every week. And if people left the bubble, they had to be quarantined for two weeks. So at least with the NBA, even if it was rooted, again, in greed and capitalism and wanting to make money based off these deals, they at least took precautions in a way that WWE like didn't, and honestly can't, so it it, ma- it makes no sense to see them still try to do this as if as if everything is normal. Because just factually, they don't have the facilities to take care of to take care of uh, such a big responsibility the way the NBA does.
0: No, yeah, absolutely, and you know, I I I said that I didn't want to parse out. Who were the lesser evils? But it's pretty clear who the greatest evil is, right? right. <laughs> like, uh, you're absolutely right. The WWE is by far uh, the worst offender of just running shows irresponsibly uh, in 2020. Like the worst, the the dirt worst shindy that you can imagine running a show in 2020, right? Um, that at least I can sort of wrap my head around that in many ways, smaller companies are m- much more victims of the system than they are people perpetuating exactly like yeah, no it's it's so much harder for an indie worker in to to make a living they have to wrestle to live, and that has sort of fueled the need for independent shows that shouldn't be happening for public health reasons and you know some indie wrestlers will it's obvious the, the presence of these shows is clearly rooted in the need to make money um, for a lot of these independent workers I can give them the benefit of the doubt like uh, you need this to live like you need this particular platform to support yourself But where it it feels sad for me is where uh, just the genuine earnestness of some of these workers uh, gets to be exploited in this system without them even knowing it. Like, a lot of people are wrestling at these shows because they just love wrestling and they just want to do it. Like, that's the primary motivation with uh, the money being, like, top to secondary, and I feel bad that th- there is a system in place Where they have to put themselves at risk uh, Just and, uh, and it's a system that kind of takes advantage of that love for the craft Where it's like, well, we know you miss wrestling So here, we're gonna do wrestling even though we really shouldn't be And we're gonna give you this space to do this thing that you love And uh, it- it's it's... On that level, on the indie level, I can really I can understand it and sort of mm, almost forgive I guess uh, some of the decisions that have been made to run shows. but the further up you get in the hierarchy, uh, the more money, the more exposure a company gets uh, the greater the gravity of their uh, negligence towards public safety. Like you know, New Japan has been getting off way too easy yeah. in the public discourse. Like no one was mad that they were running shows again.
1: Not 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 not, not only that, the fact that hey, like we're actually going to have like what, like what was it? Like 2,000 3,000 people actually actually in attendance at this thing now.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like, like no one... It it wasn't on my timeline, at least, or at least it was very quiet uh, within my circles that, you know, the return of New Japan was generally celebrated as, like, this kind of big... uh, This triumphant return to, you know, the best pro wrestling company in the world. And it's like... uh, The day that they ran the show in osaka joe the curve was spiking again and and new japan gets away with it because people like their wrestling people like their product and again it goes back to that idea of well you know people are paying for this people like this they're speaking with their money So we're just going to keep doing it. And as long as we don't do anything that like really pisses anyone off, uh, no one's really going to mention it about us. And they've just kept running shows until everyone's started running shows. And now it's just normal. Uh, And there's really no room to really get mad at them anymore because just everyone's doing it now. But yeah, New Japan was one of those companies that unfairly got off easy during this time, I feel.
1: Mm. I could, I could definitely under, understand understand and agree with that i think that um a lot of people i guess i guess i'll include myself in it like it felt good to have one of the better wrestling companies as far as like just quality back so when you're getting to see like shingo shingo versus uh uh show Tanaka or Minoru Suzuki versus yuji Nagata in new japan cup it's like, oh shit, like, wrestling is back, and it's actually good wrestling now, it's not WWE's cinematic change to wrestling, it's actually, the, like, the good wrestling is back, and because of that, they were able to skate by, and not really get consequences, or reprimanded the way that they probably should have, for not just having fans, but having the amount of fans that they, that they, that they, that they, that they uh, that they did have, um, so, so, going more to how the actual products have changed since then, obviously, for as long as wrestling has been acknowledged as being worked um, and having predetermined outcomes, it's been played up for an audience, for a live audience to consume. Uh, despite, how, despite how large the scale, it's always it's been catered and designed to being performed in front of a crowd. And... On, 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 on lower scale, like, you know, when indies and smaller promotions working in front of not that many people is like, it does, it does happen. But when it comes to, you know, the, the WWEs, the DDTs, the Noahs, uh, the, 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 New, the New Japans and everyone else that have become so reliant or are standard or our standard bears in the way of we really feed off of having our audience and our fan base there it was a big shock to the system and wrestling with no crowd isn't inherently bad or a bad thing I think for a lot of people it's just necessarily a necessary it's an adjustment you're not used to seeing this not only you know once but seeing it week after week after week now and it been and you know in in the case of WWE every show being in the pretty much like the same setting the same venue they might change the colors or change the ring they might change the set a little bit but otherwise it's the same place all the time and just getting used to that as far as aesthetically in in the change of presentation but on top of that now, I want to get to uh, how other promotions and like how 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 we felt watching them and the and uh, work and, and the workers work through these uh, shows and shows and matches, but in the case of WWE, they had an entire like an entire change in philosophy and how to do wrestling, at least in the early early stages of this, especially when it came to WrestleMania and the things they had planned for. Uh, for uh, their WrestleMania week, the WrestleMania weekend, from Champa to Gargano, to uh, the stuff that had going on with the Fiend, to the Boneyard match between AJ between AJ and the Undertaker, um, and the and the initial pay per views after, like but like Money in the Bank and Extreme Rules, it was it was clearly still a company trying to figure out, okay, how do we make the best of this? Do we? act like everything is normal or do we come up with a whole new way of doing wrestling and they went with the latter and the latter went for a more cinematic approach to wrestling that you know can be seen as goofy in the vein of the 24-7 title or the, hard- or the hardcore title or like a concession stand brawl but it's also feeling like uh the final like the final deletion or Randy Orton versus Bray Wyatt from whatever WrestleMania where they had, like, the uh, videos projecting onto the onto the ring and stuff like that. And they just went for full-on weird shit. And that was such a weird and uncommon and unexpected thing for them to do. And I know for me, I was so caught off guard by it and didn't necessarily enjoy it, but was just so fascinated by their decision being like, "Fuck it, we just gotta do weird shit now." For you, WWE's change in approach in the initial stages of COVID and the change to their wrestling how how did you feel about the way they tried to approach it?
0: Um, it was a it was the natural decision from them. I feel uh, they've always gone on forever. You know, there's that famous clip of Vince saying, "We make movies." So I feel like just philosophically, it just kind of fits into what they've always tried to do anyway is um, they've always wanted to contain things, try to control as many variables as they can. And now they were finally given like free range to just control every piece of the narrative. Like you, they completely eliminated everything that could go awry. Like if someone botches a spot, We'll either leave it in or we can reshoot the spot. You know, uh, fans are going to react exactly how we want because there's no fans and we're going to pipe in the music. Uh, Doing the cinematic stuff was, it made sense to do for WrestleMania because they, they needed to create some buzz by doing something new. And they knew that this was something weird enough that would draw just enough attention to bring people in towards it. And I feel like that was sort of the peak. Like, they had one good one, and it's been downhill (laughs) from there. Uh, I happen to really enjoy the Boneyard match. Um, But who knows how I'll feel about it now, watching it back after all these others have come out. Uh, It was a good time then because it was like, well, you know, At least it's something new. And I think that's something that WWE is very good at. Is that they're very good at convincing people something is good because it's new. Um, So they they did lean into that pretty heavily. And, you know, because it's WWE, a bunch of people liked it online. So they're going to they're gonna beat it to death and drive it into the ground so they've done like a dozen of these cinematic matches now and it's not even a headline anymore when one of it is booked you know it it, it was this big thing online uh, in the dirt sheets oh WWE is considering doing a cinematic match for Wrestlemania for The Undertaker and it was like this fascinating piece of news but now you just hear it and it's like well yeah that's just what they do now so even in trying to do something new they uh they just immediately uh, go to the well one time too many. Mm. Um, for me,
1: even if I wasn't necessarily a big fan of the Boneyard match, I thought it kind of felt like Shawn Michaels versus, versus Undertaker from, uh, from Bad Blood 97 a little bit, just in terms of seeing like Taker whoop this loud mouth jerk-off. And I, and I felt like it kind of had a similar vibe there. Um, but then obviously for every boneyard match we have, we have Braun Strowman versus the Fiend. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, th- that whole feud is probably uh, just some of the least, least favorite stuff I've seen all year. Like, e- everything about the Fiend was uh, tailor made to take advantage of uh, the limitations that COVID has set forth, but in all the ways that annoy me personally as a wrestling fan. Uh, Wow. Uh, I'll say this about Bray Wyatt and The Fiend and how WWE Creative has kind of booked uh, that particular character. Uh, They're clearly trying something and it fe- I, I can see the work that Bray is putting into it like f- on his end at least yeah, the, the, uh, the, and- the, the, issue, the issue is never Bray you know yeah no for sure like I, I, I feel like there's there's a creative spark there there's a drive to tell a genuine story uh, but it's not a story for me and uh, the way it's just been unfolding is just some of the most cringeworthy stuff in wrestling or, 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 i think i've ever seen
1: or like there was a story and now like you know I the wwe like once it gets over and they decide that it's a thing now they abandon the story like the entire story is you know bray created the theme because he couldn't deal with like all the other failures that he's had that he's had he you know despite all this Smooth talking and rambling, and his enig- en- en- uh, enigmatic personality—like he's kind of insecure in the fact that he's failed in certain things, and like he's been betrayed by certain people who took advantage of him when he thinks he's so smart and he's so cunning. The people have actually outsmarted him. The fiend was, a, was like a co- was like a coping mechanism, which like is in theory is a good story, which. In theory, I understand, and on some level, I can I can enjoy. The problem is that when we the, like, we fast forward like five or six months later, and there's literally no like retention of that initial story plot at all.
0: Well, yeah, he's just another spooky WWE wrestler, which is a weird trend they've been leaning into. I don't know if that's a thing that just kind of hit with this generation of wrestlers or if it's a wwe thing that they're just uh kind of hiring these sorts of wrestlers but i i i kind of want to say it's the influence of the undertaker that everyone wants to be the next undertaker but all these kind of spooky edgy based gimmicks really came out of the woodwork during uh 2020 especially uh, because you could lean into such sillier things, so you had stuff like Killer Cross or Carrion Cross, whatever his name is now, hiding a fireball in like a contract folder, <laughs> or, <laughs> or or um, God, what's his name, Dexter, Dexter Loomis, uh, just being a creep. Like that's just his thing. The, the, that's just his the, gimmick. The, the, is that he's a, a creep? Great,
1: there's a great bit on a podcast I just recorded with Tim last night. Take takeover and i don't know if you watch did you watch any of takeover
0: i i saw the main event that's it
1: did you watch did you see the closing angle yeah i did i genuinely thought that was sam shaw <laughs> <laughs> i i genuinely thought it was him <laughs> and then oh no once we get to the end of the episode i'm literally floored that that's not sam shaw <laughs>
0: NXT guys all kind of bleed together now. <laughs> okay, but like, but like uh, at least
1: those two, its actually insane how much they look like. Like, they look like the same
0: person. Like,
1: yeah, that one, like, genuinely, like, that's not Sam Shaw. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that, that, thats a weird experience to have. But yeah, you know, um, that—that's one trend I would like to see less of in future years is uh let's not all be spooky (laughs) please
1: um other than other than WWE I feel like everyone else is trying to go on uh business business as usual you know to the best to the best of their capabilities um I feel like maybe the one outlier here in terms of a change that got made to uh Maybe maybe a match that wouldn't happen under these under any other circumstance, but did under the COVID circumstance, would be Go versus Fujita, from early from from uh, I guess that would have been March, right?
0: It's early or very early in the year, around when the shutdowns were happening. Yeah, so very early.
1: Like, I'm not sure a Go versus Fujita, like a super divisive, extremely weird match. I'm not sure that that thing happens. Under circumstance, under like the normal circumstances that they, you know, that people would have envisioned for a Go versus Fujita match, you have Takashi Sagira defending the GHC National title just fine, and it's a regularly worked match. And everything since then has been pretty much regularly regularly worked matches from the N one to the tag title matches to title matches and everything in between. Everything has been normal, but it's just that one outlier is that Go
0: vs. Fujita match. And it stands out for that. And I think it's actually the best example of our topic, which is the art of adjustment. I think no wrestling match in 2020 has achieved what Go vs. Fujita did on that night. It was the only match made better by being in 2020. Okay. Uh I I can think of no other match this year that wouldn't be better if I put it in front of a live crowd that's invested. Uh, but Go vs. Fujita I feel is the only one that kind of exists for this year and is so successful at what it was trying to do.
1: Uh I guess the only one in my head is maybe Fred Yehi versus Jer- versus Jeremy Wyatt. But at the same time, it's like, no, that, that'd probably work a lot better having having, having an audience there.
0: Right, like, if, if, if there was a hot crowd for Wyatt versus Yehi, then, yeah, it's probably gonna be better. But uh, Go versus Fujita is the only uh, match that kind of took the circumstances um, and really... Crafted something unique to this year and the setting that we're in. So, for everyone who has not seen Goshyazaki versus uh, Kazuyuki Fujita, uh, first of all, uh, please do, please do watch it. I think it is essential viewing, regardless of how you feel about yeah, it. Yeah, reg- regardless end. of how you feel about it at the end, it's like you gotta see it.
1: Yeah, it's, it's almost like like one of those al- like one of those albums or movies that. It doesn't matter where you come down on it. You just have to experience it. Yes. Like, just just to experience it.
0: (laughs) Absolutely agree. So, uh, go watch that. So, spoiler alert. uh, But odds are, uh, if if you're listening to this podcast, odds are you know what happened. Uh, The first 35 minutes is them not doing anything. They're just staring each other down, occasionally shifting positions in the ring and it created this like very for me personally this very almost hypnotic vibe where you're just kind of drawn in by the silence Uh, there's that famous saying of uh, a great wrestler's gimmick is just a real personality turned up to 10 and I think that same philosophy can apply to wrestling matches where uh, great wrestling matches are just uh, simulated fights turned up to 10 or 11, right? And I think that they they this match was the only one that was able to take the unusual circumstance of there's no one in the audience. And instead of ignoring that limitation and looking past it or working around it, they did th- kind of the unthinkable and amplified it. Like they amplified the silence, by making it such a a sticking point, by making it such a big feature of 30 full minutes of this match. And regardless of if you think it was just something to do, like just something funny to do, or if it's some kind of dig at um, (laughs) the New Japan style where nothing happens for the first half and they have a great finishing run, like no matter what they intended, they achieved something. Uh, and I think it's the best example of playing to one of the unseen strengths of not having a crowd, which is that any viewer is now uh directly focused on whatever is happening in the ring. Yeah, it's, and... it's, it's
1: it's a hundred it's a hundred times more, more intimate now. So yes, like you know, as the camera is cutting back and forth between Go's face and Go looking completely locked in and serious. And he, you go back to Fujita and Fujita's kind of smirking. It's like, man, what the fuck is about to happen? What's, what's going on? And despite that, it like, for so long, a lot of relatively nothing happens. Because they have different approaches to their stare down. Because they do have slight like, adjustments to the fake outs or whatever. Like, you... Sp- still you're still entranced by that so I don't disagree with you at all when you say that in terms of a match that couldn't happen in any other year I really agree with you this is the only match that happened in 2020 that would not be better any other year would I like to watch go versus Fujita in a regular setting pretty much and just watch them beat the shit out of each other with no frills and extra extra shit attached to it of course I would adore that I love the I, the build up tag, what um, the build up tags before we before we got to before we got to that match were especially really awesome. So I would I would love to see that, but what we got instead is you know a perfect example of adjustments being made and being completely tailored and perfect for the year, and uh, in, in the circumstances in which we're currently in. Uh, on the flip, on the flip side of that though, you get New Japan, and New Japan really hasn't adjusted. New New Japan, they come back, whether it's uh, the New Japan Cup, Summer in Jingu, the G One, the, the the G the G One now, and it's going straight up business as business as usual. Um, for New Japan Cup, I can see maybe being a little thrown off by it because there was no crowd pretty much for new japan cup as opposed to for uh summer in jingu and osaka and the g1 now that you are dealing with crowds but what's your take been on the places like a um new japan or a ddt where they're more working as if you know nothing's happening we're just gonna go and do what we do and do what we know how to do and not and not try to get overly cute about it. We're going to go out there and have the same effort in our matches that we,
0: that we always have in our matches. For that, it really comes down to the individual workers and their particular styles. Because uh, when it gets down to the level of the individual worker, some will be... Some have the skill set and toolbox to kind of get away with working in not in front of like a silent crowd or no crowd at all so I I feel like that's why a lot of DDT stuff has kind of popped a little bit more than the New Japan stuff Uh, DDT's in-house style is generally quicker uh, than New Japan Uh, it's a lot more dynamic Uh, they're heavily centered on uh, six-man tags eight-man tags so there's a lot of moving parts there's very rarely any kind of downtime whereas New Japan Uh, Their in-house style has always been At least in the main event Very centered on these long stretches of build-up Of people on the mat doing, you know Honestly, very little Or uh, very rudimentary mat work even And then really pulling out the stops In uh, the finishing stretch With these creative sequences And their counters So the choice by most of the New Japan roster To basically just go on as normal, I feel like it's been really detrimental to them because uh, their style, a lot of what has made them work so well in the last half of the 2010s was just this rabid fan following, just how over all these guys were with the crowd. They were always chanting for whoever they wanted to win. There was always big reactions to anything that was happening in the ring and when you strip that all away and all you have is the ring work, you're really seeing a lot of the holes in people's abilities and people's games so someone like Okada has been incredibly exposed by COVID and uh, whatever other injuries he's been facing like he's having a tough go of, of it things and like people aren't liking his matches uh, they're either negatively received or divisive at best and a lot of that is because when you can't cheer for Okada uh, a lot of his aura just kind of vanishes Like uh, I, I always felt like that was one of Okada's greatest strengths is that he represented something whether or not he backed that up in the ring he was positioned to be this top guy and he was always treated as that at least by live audiences and the crowd and without that he's just he's just another wrestler
1: um for a long time I've always said that I feel like Kazuchika Okada and John Cena like people always like compared like Okada and Randy Orton for whatever reason and I get why on a surface level but I always thought the more comparable people were Okada and Cena just because that I feel like Okada and Cena were made to represent certain things Cena was made to represent the WWE style and whenever that changed, you know, from the big gimmick match era to the we're gonna do indie work rate stuff with a lot of neck kickouts and airfalls, whenever that changed, John Cena was always at the forefront of it, and Okada has been obviously at the forefront of the New Japan made event stylistic change, um, and I feel like they're guys that rely on creating creating this big atmosphere. Along with the matches, because you know they're the guys, they're the people that either people love or they want to see lose. Whether you go from Okada versus Naito or Okada versus Shibata or various Okada situations where the crowd wants to see him lose, and the same thing with John Cena, it's all reliant on creating this atmosphere. And you saying that Okada has been someone that, uh, in this situation, has been kind of exposed. That kind of goes along along to my along my point I make about those two in general and why I think they're so similar, because I feel like if a John Cena was in this was in this thing, and he was out there on Raw every week trying to work, and you know you see people like Sasha Banks and Bayley and Oscar and Drew Gulak and Daniel Bryan and AJ Styles and Cedric Alexander and Mustafa Ali go out there and have like better matches quote-unquote or feel like they're still normal or the, or the nxt people even then you see a Timothy thatcher has completely thrived in a situation like this even a cameron grimes uh a kyle o'reilly just recently are thriving in situations like this and i feel like a john cena wouldn't either and it kind of i don't know kind of goes to my point you saying this about how similar i think okada and cena are and then, and now that's like the true comparison uh in terms of, like, WWE and New, J- and New Japan guys and similarities.
0: Well, it's hard to say. Um, just, I say that mostly uh,
1: because say, I'm a- like, like, Just knowing Cena's skill set, just knowing what I've seen of Cena from the time he debuted up until the time he stopped being a full-time wrestler, what I know of John Cena's skill set out of all, all the time I ever watched him, he just doesn't seem like a guy that would have been great for this setting.
0: I mean, yeah, absolutely. Uh, a lot of John Cena's best skills were milking heat uh, uh, by selling or by being in control. So he would definitely have had to adjust in some way. Or, inter- or, inter- uh, or, interact- or, inter- or interacting with the crowd. Like, you know. Yeah, uh, lo- looking- his mic work. Yeah, look- looking conf- looking confused when they boo him.
1: Uh, playing up certain things. Like, little neat tricks that Cena picked up as, as he, has he realized her relationship with the audience. And it's the same thing that Okada does. Like, you know, we have the, uh, moment in Okada versus Naito where Okada just loses his shit and starts slamming Naito's leg into the mat over and over again. We have the moment in Okada versus Shibata where Okada just starts kicking in, uh, Punting Shibata in the corner and, and like the uh, boos rain in. We have those moments where they adjust and react and react to the crowd. And for those people who are so reliant on giving the audience what they want and feeling when they want to boo you, I, I just, I just, I just feel like Cena, along with Okada, struggles really do show how similar they are. But Okada, I, I, I like the j White match. Admittedly, I have some G One catch up to do, but. I, I Okada is someone where I can definitely see you, like, someone looking at his work in this setting, You're like, yeah, I don't... I, you see him as getting, getting
0: exposed. No, yeah, because he's not really uh, adding anything positive to his game. He's making an attempt. There is an attempt. Uh, he's not doing the Rainmaker. He's trying to get this Cobra Clutch-looking thing over, and... Uh, it feels like he's making the wrong decisions, where uh, introducing a submission in a time where crowds aren't allowed to cheer or boo yeah, feels like, yeah, just well, like the, when, a huge mistake.
1: Yeah, when the whole idea is that like you put someone in submission and the crowd reacts and there's heat, so either the person taps out or the person can get to the ropes.
0: Sure, and, you know, it's just kind of baffling to me. Like, I don't understand it from a kayfabe aspect either. Like, uh, Okada's trying to mix up his game, but for what reason? He wasn't particularly struggling. Like, uh, people will say it's a reaction to losing the title in the Dome, but he completely bounced back from that and put away Taichi pretty easily, well, decisively at least, at New Beginning. And then he runs through the New Japan Cup and makes it all the way to the final. So I don't know what the character of Okada is really trying to prove. He's doing these promos about how I'm more than the Rainmaker. And it's like, it's, is that really a, a very pressing motivation at this moment? That you're kind of sacrificing... Match quality for it Like uh, It's a lot of Decisions being made That add up That make his matches Not as entertaining To watch And He's relying on these submissions He's Had a taped up back Which is either A work Or he's actually hurt So he's bumping less So there's just a lot of There's just a lot of Dead air In his matches That he hasn't really been able To adjust to Outside of kind of like goading the crowd into doing his new signature uh clap sequence
1: um i will say though that i think people kind of take for granted at which point like the kind of point okada is in his career i think okada is going on 33 um and has been in this spotlight and been this guy since 2012 um so and I, i get what you're saying and that is weird timing, but at the same time, I feel like this would have been happening with Okada anyway. I think I don't think that this was a thing, uh, spawned by COVID and him doing. Oh, we're in this, we're in this uh, setting now, so let me go try this. I feel like this was probably the story that they always had in mind, just basing it off of hey, Okada, he's eight years in now, and. He's had moments of self-reflection and trying to adjust himself and do the things that he needs to do to take himself to the next level and regain what he wants to keep, but I do think it's worth remembering that this is a guy that is getting up there in age now and is eight years into being the guy in New Japan, so changes were coming or did have to come at some point.
0: No, I absolutely agree that I don't think this is in reaction to COVID, and I think that's part of the problem. Is that their right. uh, Gato is very bullheaded about these narratives that he wants to tell, and this sort of in-ring style that he he and the workers uh, have cultivated through the years, and still pushing forward with it in spite of these limitations. Uh, it, it's it's creating an environment where these matches really can't shine the way that they used to, uh, even for people who are particularly invested in it. Like, I don't think uh, anyone will tell you this is an all-time great G1 or even uh, remotely as good as last year's G1. Like, the limitations are hitting hard, and the general philosophy of the company has been to just keep on trucking, Uh, just keep doing what you've been doing, and it's not really working in a very effective way
1: mm. as i as i look at this landscape and i see these matches that are supposed to feel big and important like something like t versus tetsuya endo from the king of dd from the king of ddt finals and watching that and being like man i really wish that that felt more important or wish that there is more of an audience wish that there is more of an audience here in that that could have taken that match to the next level or maybe got them to give their full effort. Um, do you watch this stuff and see the reports of COVID and see, you know, how we're making progress and still we're like a long way away from having a true answer to this thing. Do you feel like wrestling under these circumstances will ever feel normal? And if this becomes the new normal, will this affect the way that you judge wrestling going forward?
0: I think the way I've been trying to judge wrestling um, has generally been the same in that I'm trying to understand, I'm trying to gauge or uh, judge how a match is effective given its place, you know? So... The fact of the matter is that all these wrestlers know what's going on. Like no one, no one's being blindsided. But by oh, hey, by the way, there's no crowd tonight. Okay, so like everyone knows what the situation is, and I think that it's on the wrestlers or the agents or whoever is creatively uh, involved putting together these matches and these shows that. They really need to take the time to kind of think about how can we put on something that is compelling, uh, interesting, and exciting with this setting. And, you know, a lot of people have tried to make adjustments and some people are just uh, gifted with the abilities to make those changes whether consciously or not like i don't think anyone is going to be shocked to hear that i feel the person who thrived the most in covid era wrestling uh happens to be the greatest wrestler of all time (laughs) and it's daniel bryan and the reason he was able to thrive in such um such a strained environment is because he was so fundamentally sound to begin with he has so many uh Uh, He has so many abilities and skills that he can fall back on and rely on that aren't dependent on a crowd reaction. He can take you down to the mat and he'll work an incredibly intricate mat sequence if he's in there with someone like uh, a Drew Gulak or he could even do it with someone like a Cesaro. Um, He can hit really hard. His kicks sound like they hurt regardless of if there's a crowd going ooh or ah at it or yes. And... Uh, He's just so uh, fundamentally and offensively complete as a wrestler that he was always going to be fine in this kind of environment. But then you think of other wrestlers who don't have that sort of really well-rounded skill set who are incredibly reliant on crowd reaction or even laughter. Like, I can only imagine how miserable it is to be a comedy wrestler in (laughs) COVID-era wrestling. Uh, Like, I used to do stand-up comedy, and just the idea of just speaking jokes into a void of emptiness sounds like the worst possible way to do it. But, you know, people still try. There's a lot of comedy wrestling in DDT people liked the Soup versus Yoshihiko match from uh, Wrestle Peter Pan. So it's clear that there are ways to do it. And it just takes a little extra effort, a little extra thought to be able to pull it off. And it's incredibly difficult, but when you see it as a fan, it's easy to spot and kind of appreciate.
1: I think i think for me is that it, it will for, for people like the for people like us we're the hardcore of the hardcore the people that will will be you know years removed from the year we were born and go do entire yearbooks or video or videos on 19 on 1990 and you're like oh yeah angel azteca really good really good really good wrestler remember when i was like who the fuck is angel azteca you, like you know, for for pe- for yeah. pe- for people for people like us that will go and watch wrestling on such an obsessive level, I I, I definitely think that like, for us we'll always find a way to appreciate the wrestling and the effort that's putting that's being put forth. I, I think for me it's more, you know, and the idea like the casual fan in wrestling like really does get overblown and isn't as much of a thing or an audience to really strive for. Just because what we've seen that, rest of the wrestling audience it, it it exists. It's big. People people like care and pay attention. Like it's a thing. But as far as these casuals that will randomly turn like randomly tune in for, uh, uh,
0: episode or a pay per view, it, it doesn't really exist. Um, especially now. Yeah. No one's no one's stopping the channel to see uh Braun Strowman wrestling in front of Performance Center students like that's not a thing that's happening right now and the numbers will prove that (laughs) right so
1: i I think it it is a thing where how many of us are those kinds of fans are super hardcore and willing to like see the good and what's happening and still stick with this and is there a part of you that feels like you know if this goes on too long if this is a thing where there isn't a uh, solution in sight by a certain by a certain time frame that we will see a significant change in wrestling fandom because of it
0: i think that the longer this goes uh the likelier the chance that there will be a significant change in the industry first um that's my hope at least it feels like... Uh, if this does extend into next year or God forbid years after that which is a very real possibility um, you would think that's enough time for a good number of performers to look at the situation and be able to analyze it in a way where they're able to say okay here are the things that will work for the setting that we have now these are the changes that we need to make in terms of our in-ring style in terms of what we're booking and placing on TV, and I'm hoping that the product will undergo that positive change, and that the reaction from the fandom will just be organically uh, positive. Like people will just enjoy the work being put in, but there, there there's real, there's no real guarantee of that at all like uh you know it's it's easier to do what you know and it's easier to do what you've been trained and people are trained to play to a crowd people are trained to wrestle a certain way and unless you're making the real conscious decision to uh really switch things up then uh it's very unlikely that things are gonna change in terms of what's being presented but if, if the circumstance is extreme enough, people have shown that they're willing to take that kind of chance, you know, whether it pays off or not. Uh, Joey Janela was doing the social distancing match, you know, WWE is doing these cinematics. So it's clear that there's some impulse to do something different. And uh, there's going to be, I guess, a, just a natural trial and error through time where, people will try things it'll work it won't work and it's just going to go from there
1: you know what while you were talking i suddenly remembered like we talked we talked about go versus fujita being the only match that was better off being in 2020 i'm not sure if you will agree with me but i thought of i thought of another pick while you, while you were talking I, yeah go for it i feel like the inner circle versus elite uh stampede match being, all, being going all over the uh jacksonville stadium I, I think that that's a match that only is as entertaining and as fun as it was being in 2020 and realizing we're in such fucked up situation we're, we're in such a fucked up situation and fucked up times that this match that would have been more serious and would have been this big blow off thing it was like oh, all right fuck it let's just make let's just make this as fun as possible. I feel like that's that's maybe the other only exception I would make to everything else would have been better in another year.
0: No yeah that's a fair pick but you know there's there's the counter argument to that of course where I'll just say well we could have had war games <laughs> you know um like if that happened in any other year it'd be war games and I'd imagine that might have been better than what we got but yeah, you know but like, if
1: you're what, a fan what do I, I want to see LAX in a war games match
0: I don't know maybe if they <laughs> maybe if they maybe if they bled for it I, right, I'm always right. willing to forgive things if uh, you bleed for it. And, you know, that was, the, that was the plan, right? That was the name of the dynamite they were going to do, Blood and Guts. Yeah, so yeah. there was going to be blood. Uh, but, yeah, we'll, we'll never know now, obviously. Uh, that angle has passed, at least for now. And I did enjoy the Stadium Stampede match. And if anyone is particularly fond of these cinematic matches, obviously those those are going to be picks, too. But, yeah, there, there, there's a lot of things that are changing and... It's really trial and error. Uh I I, I, I can
1: it, I can understand saying that like AJ Styles versus Undertaker. Like despite how good we might think AJ Styles is, and some people might some people might think that he is like losing his step, which like, okay, fine, like the dude's fucking like forty one. Like we think we weird thing to like point out as if he's like still young. But like I think maybe you could argue AJ versus Undertaker because them trying to have an actual match at Undertaker's age and AJ not being the same guy that he was even, like, three years ago or three or four years ago, like, that, would, that wouldn't that would be that good of an actual match. So I, I could argue that one as well.
0: No, yeah, absolutely. So any of these matches that are, like, direct responses to what's been going on, if you're particularly fond of them, then you'll obviously select them as uh, something very much of this time. But... Um, Again, your your mileage may vary on that, so if, if you liked uh, the cinematic matches, then you're going to point to that and say, well, that couldn't happen as early as, uh, you know, 2016, uh, simply because it wouldn't have taken place. Like, that wouldn't have been the option that WWE would go to.
1: Um, Getting back to how we were setting up the topic in the beginning of the show, uh, and, you know, we this stuff is still going on. You know, the Jacob Blake shooting wasn't that long ago. The attorney general decide, in, in Louisville deciding that he wasn't going to charge anyone in the murder of Breonna Taylor and instead only charge one officer for wanton damagement of someone else's property. Um jonathan price a couple of days ago another person unarmed uh wasn't even being arrested being shot and killed by the police this is still a thing uh in the wake of speaking out like there are still people who have a lot lot of people a lot of people want a lot of people want dark and there are some people who are still on tv and get going about their lives as if nothing happened like matt riddle and Velveteen Dream and to some extent Will Ospreay, even though Will Ospreay had no allegations against him and Will Ospreay and what Will Osprey was uh being right, right across the Coles for wasn't wasn't necessarily new information. Um like you know like uh, uh, Will Osprey getting to just come back and do what he you know, go go back and just get back and go back to being the quote unquote best wrestler in the world. Um so with the unresolved business of speaking out with COVID and the ethical and then just like the ethics of continuing, continuing to run wrestling shows with the Black Lives Matter protests reaching such a high, especially especially in the wake of someone like Mustafa Ali being, being turned heel in everything that Mustafa Ali stands for. And has made very clear about his public views and beliefs. He him leading a heel, heel, heel unit that's based off of Antifa. Uh, for you, is there a way to balance fandom and morality? Is there a way to really? Um, I don't know. I guess I guess like you, like obviously, we all want to see these things get better, but for some people. This might be too much and completely turned you off from wrestling. I have friends that have been turned off from wrestling, just based off the speaking out stuff still being so unresolved and and needing 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 to step away from that. And for some people, we we saw it and we were disgusted by it, but at the same time, like wrestling, this like this like all these things aren't necessarily like the newest the newest of information either in just everything that's been going on in the world and the inter- intersectionality of, intersectionality of it all do you feel like there's a way to balance your fandom with your ethics and your morality uh
0: someone actually messaged me about this uh on twitter a few days ago specifically about speaking out and kind of how to approach matches and shows from people who are, you know, being accused or exposed of being horrible people. And what I said was that everyone will draw the line somewhere different. And uh, in general, wherever you choose to draw it, I feel is perfectly valid. Uh, perhaps the one thing that people should be more thoughtful about at least is uh where they're spending their money um well well, 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 i was
1: was gonna ask you so i'm not sure how familiar you are with like things like streaming in terms of just podcasting and music and um even for streaming services and streaming service payouts but i would imagine just based off how little musicians get for stream for for uh Streaming residuals and how, um, how at the time with the WWE network and in the wake of CM Punk's departure, that one thing that he mentioned was the transition to the network and guys getting none of that money with like the stream with the streaming that would uh, be happening with the network and uh, um, getting away from the pay per views is in that. When you subscribe to a streaming service, or when you watch a show on a streaming, or when you watch a show on a streaming service that may feature someone, or uh, may feature someone that has accusations levied against them, or any other kind of moral inf- moral infractions that they may have following their character, the way I always felt about it is like. I know this person isn't getting paid off being watching this show. Uh, I always felt like if it was like a more direct form of support, like me praising them on Twitter and like maybe getting their name out there so a promotion books them or buying their merch, which is you know direct directly compensating them for their work. That I don't know. That was always the line for me in terms of this because I just know that these guys aren't getting paid off of subscriptions to these streaming services and i always wondered is that me making it too simple is that me making it too black and white but well, that's the way i've always viewed it is that if i know that these people aren't getting paid off of this particular thing then i don't know like what then like what then, what, then where is the line
0: no yeah and I, I feel a lot of people probably will take that approach and Think, think of it similarly similarly to you in that uh, as long as you know these horrible people aren't getting any money for how we consume their product, then it's probably if not the right decision, at least a better decision than you know buying a t-shirt or directly praising them online that might get them some decent buzz and i've been approaching it in a very similar way like i'll just throw my hands up and be honest about that like for example i've been watching a lot of older chikara chikara lately and you know chikara shut down because a lot of these allegations of a horrible culture backstage you know people who are abusers not being uh handled properly but i'm watching these shows on iwtv and like what well, are these wrestlers going to be paid for every click? No. Like, probably everything on Chikara that's up on IWTV right now, it's probably all paid up already. And, like, no one's making any money from me clicking on those shows. So that's sort of how I rationalize it to myself. It's not its not even a particularly, like, noble stance or anything. It's more of, like, just a personal coping mechanism. But, like, you really think about it, and, and there's no real way to do to do that to consume wrestling ethically. Like, every wrestling fan started by watching the WWE and in some way or form, pretty much every wrestling fan has given money to the WWE, a company that both doesn't need it and will probably use that money to, you know, exploit its workers. On, so... On top, on top on top, of that, and it's like, not to be a cop-out, but... Any medium
1: of entertainment, whatever your preferred, you know, medium is, whether it is television, movies, sports, gaming, YouTubing, whatever it is, like there's a seedy underbelly culture to that too. That if you know the ins and outs of it, you know, like mu- music too, that if you knew the ins and outs of it and all the things that get covered up in the culture behind certain things, you'd be saying the same things. So it's like not to give wrestling a cop out, but it's like almost like is there any ethical consumption to like, any kind of media if we're going to like play that game with, with wrestling?
0: No, yeah, and there is that old saying, of course, that there's no ethical consumption under capitalism. And there really isn't. Like, everything has some horrible, seedy, uh, just ugliness beneath it. And that's not to kind of strip away people's responsibilities about being thoughtful about where their money goes or you know investing some sort of effort to kind of draw the line for themselves and i feel like in general if you're making an attempt to draw the line you're already probably on the right track like some people will say that um saying anything positive about someone's work if they're exposed as a abuser uh might be damaging you know like uh, if I were to go back and say review a David Starr match I watched and gave it some positive comments, there there's an argument to be made that I'm uh, contributing to a culture where uh, a person's work is more important or worthy of discussion than the actions of that person. And that's a perfectly fair argument. And I completely empathize with people who believe that. Uh, For me as a critic, I feel like there is still some value in revisiting these things, these matches uh, that involve terrible people, you know? And I think the least I can do, at least as someone who creates content about wrestling and discusses wrestling online, is at least be honest about these things, be at least transparent about where I'm drawing the line you know or at least be aware that the line is there and i think that's the least anyone can do is be honest and transparent about how they feel like you know if we're being if we're really extending that whole discussion as far as it'll go uh, how many people on twitter who aren't hardcore wrestling fans you know share their nostalgic memories of watching hulk hogan in the 80s uh, how much people love Stone Cold Steve Austin who he he's done some pretty horrible stuff you know like uh, he he was accused of domestic abuse like that's just a fact he's one of the most famous beloved wrestlers ever and sure you know some people don't know these things about these wrestlers but the these are things that aren't gonna go away and the best we can do as fans and especially as you know people like us you and i creating content about wrestling is that we have to at least understand a where our money is going and b trying to be honest with our criticism that you know maybe something holds up and you can say it holds up but you gotta mention that if you're watching this, you're watching a person who's been accused of XYZ, you know? Like, I I talked about Eddie Kingston versus Mike Quackenbush in the five-match primer I did for Eddie Kingston, and I I thought it was necessary to mention that, you know, Quack's been accused of some pretty shady, horrible stuff because there are people who will want to know that, and I don't really want to leave people in a place of ignorance when it comes to these things the least we can do is tell them about it, you know?
1: Um, two specific people I want to ask you about before we uh, start, start wrapping up our time together. Uh, how has it felt for you watching Will Ospreay during this G1? Especially in the way where he has what he's accused of, um, which isn't inherently sexual assault, but the fact that one of his friends and Scotty Wainwright was accused of sexually assaulting Pollyanna and when it is first being brought to will's attention, his immediate reaction is to drag Pollyanna's name through the mud, call her a liar, disparage her on Twitter, and also uh, blacklist her from certain English wrestling promotions. Again, which is, which is not inherently new information. it was just stuff that you know came back around as 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 the speaking as, as speaking out um was, was getting more momentum and will takes his break um a reports come out about about will de- dealing with depression and feeling suicidal uh and he gets announced for g1 because he wasn't there uh in in new japan for for some months Comes back for G1 and he's working a more heelish side to him. Now, again, this is Gato we're talking about, so maybe Osprey doing this was always like intentional for this year for him. Uh, him being pushed as more of a marquee player and having a change in character for him might have always been in the plans. Uh, him bulking up and doing all this stuff and becoming like a solidified heavyweight might have always been in the plans, but ha- have you felt uncomfortable on any level seeing him come back and work as a heel knowing the real life stuff that he wa- that he that he was taking part of
0: in coming back like working like you know working like a shithead. Absolutely. Like it's genuinely infuriating for me. Every time I watch him I get angry. <laughs> like uh I- I've said this to some people who I talk about the G one with where i i I don't know anymore uh whether i hate will osprey's wrestling now or if i'm just mixing it up with how much i resent him and his actions and i feel like i've decided that the best thing to do is to stop trying to draw that line like those are just things that are gonna exist together in my head And sorry, Will Ospreay, that's gonna affect how I view your matches as if it's any, you know, as if it's any skin off your back that, you know, some random YouTuber doesn't like your matches. I'm sure you're devastated. But like, you know, um, I've stopped trying to figure out whether he's gotten worse in the ring or if I just genuinely dislike how he's gotten away from being accountable for what he's done. And I don't think it matters anymore. Because those are things that are out there now. Those are things people know about Will Ospreay. And the fact of the matter is he and creative should be smart enough to know that these are facts that people are bringing to the table when they're watching their show.
1: Or, it, or, or, the, or, or like how tone deaf it can come across. Like, yeah. But, but, either, but if you look look at it either way, it's like what's the solution other than I don't know – not use Will Osprey, which wasn't gonna happen. Like he's one of their guys; he's someone to have plans for. But if he comes back, he's just a, he's a baby face and business as usual, and nothing happened. Then isn't to come, come, come gonna come across as insincere, and who the fuck would want to cheer for him? But then he comes back working as a heel, and it's like, oh fuck this guy! He thinks he can get have these allegations against him, and then come back and be like, oh yeah, fuck you! Uh, I'm I'm a cocky heel now. it it's a situation where either way, when Will came back. I don't think there's a good version of it.
0: No, yeah, there is no way to win. And, like, the right thing to do in many people's eyes, my own included, is, you know, not to include him in the G1. Uh, Make him publicly address uh, these allegations again. uh, Apologize properly in a way that satisfies at least the people he's wronged, you know. Uh, I'm sure if... uh, the accuser felt some sort of uh justice was done then that would go a long way to assuaging a lot of people's misgivings about will osprey and in any situation of this sort you have to think about uh the person who was wronged first they should be the top priority so until she's satisfied with how this has been handled or with will osprey's apology or whatever else that would be the right thing to do would be to just not utilize him on TV but New Japan has shown that they don't really care about that you know uh, through do, well, through well, all the ask, years like,
1: uh, I was going to ask like do you buy the idea that on some level they're not
0: aware of certain things I feel like they have every means to be aware and whether they utilize that or not they've shown that either way it shows that they don't care you know because okay. they absolutely could know if they wanted to right but the fact that they're not looking for it or that they're not paying attention to it online means that it doesn't matter to them surely there's some social media manager running the global account and I'm sure they've been swamped with mentions about Will Ospreay and whoever else is on that roster Zach Sabre Zach Saber, Zach Saber Jr. Zach Sabre like... Jr. Chase Owens uh You know, there are people under New Japan's employ who are very clearly aware uh, just by sheer volume. So whether they're not being listened to or they're not passing on that message, the result is the same, which is that New Japan as an institution just doesn't care. Uh, They're going to make money off of Will Ospreay. They're selling tickets because Will Ospreay is on the card. So that is the priority. They're going to book Will Ospreay.
1: And going back to the other person I wanted to mention here, uh, Ali, I me- I mentioned him, and he he he's another one in the long line of amazing, lovable baby faces that get to WWE and WWE has to tinker with them and turn them heel and experiment like Sami Zayn and Bailey and Candice LeRae, uh, and even uh, you know Ky- Ky- Kyrie sane have all been people impacted by this and. Ali is the latest one in this line. In Ali, in particular, it feels it feels really egregious the like the, the way that he is going to be portrayed now on television, most likely. Uh, just based off the views in which he, just based off the views that he has, uh, just based off like the fact that he's a. Uh, uh, Muslim, uh, Muslim American, um, and everything has been so outspoken about turning heel to lead a group that was fashioned to cause anarchy, uh, in a in a uh, antifa ish way. Um, so from that perspective, going back to, is there any way to, you know. Mixed like your, you know, balance, like, balance fandom and morality. How do you balance something like that where uh, a, a company, a corporation that has direct ties to the Trump administration and Trump's words on Antifa and making them the same thing as actual white supremacist organizations? And it just so happens WE makes a knockoff of it, and the leader of it is now a brown man who's muslim and fights for social equality like how how do you combat in deal with such a blatant feeling thing
0: well you know most fans have already made that decision for themselves which is that they're, they they don't care uh This this, this is the part where it kind of depresses me about how um, a lot of fans approach wrestling. Um, And it's not entirely their fault because they've been so conditioned by the largest company in the world being so consistently bad for so long, just for years and years and years being horrible, that any small glimmer of hope is this new breakthrough when it's just perpetuating the cycle forever and ever. And people are happy that Ali is getting a push. And the way that I've seen most people kind of like do this mental gymnastics in their head is that, oh, well, Ali's in it, so it's good now, you know? And it's not good. Uh, The whole angle is still very clearly bad when you're just reading the text of what WWE's putting out there. Like what is on their show is very clearly wrong. And uh, it has a message that it's imparting and
1: especially as heels like you know when exactly. you base when you, when you when you base this group off of in in antifa uh and you're propagating them as heels you're making them look you're, you're positioning them like whiners and complainers and losers and no, that, yeah
0: that's exactly the problem and and
1: then and you they're complaining about nothing all this stuff is them not working hard enough or wanting
0: opportunities handed to
1: them and that's exactly how that's how this' is
0: gonna be portrayed yeah absolutely and that's where the problem lies and uh, pe- people are acting like it's gonna be the easiest thing to uh look past that like I think most fans who want to enjoy Mustafa Ali in retribution uh what they're probably gonna do is cheer retribution and that achieves nothing for anyone except yourself trying to enjoy the product like uh, WWE fans for years have been crafting narratives and reactions in their own minds to make the product bearable and it's why people hijack shows and chant CM Punk or why they boo all the top guys like Roman Reigns and John Cena Right, Because they're trying to assert some control over a narrative that they feel is going away that they don't like. And now, even that has been taken away from them because there's no live reactions. It's entirely piped in. The WWE completely controls every aspect of the narrative and its moral framing. And people are probably going to say that, well, don't make it such a political thing. There's no real meaning behind it. When... There very clearly is because the WWE is assigning morality to it. Like the very basis and foundation of pro wrestling is good versus evil. People have said that forever. And to tell those stories, you have to assign which characters are good and which characters to, are evil. You have to
1: assign roles and you're going to give like little cues and notes that will show you that these people are bad. Here's why they're bad.
0: Yes, and and now with the Thunderdome, it's not even like little cues and notes anymore. It's just handed to you. They'll just play booze over it so you think it's evil. And so they're the bad guys. Like in the WWE's universe, in the kayfabe of that world, Retribution are the bad guys. And ret- what Retribution represents and what they were based on, that's bad. That's evil. So <laughs> to put Mustafa Ali of all people in that stable it's just it's so so tone deaf to anything that's happening in the world and to anything that mustafa ali believes and i've seen an argument that you know well if mustafa thinks it's okay it's probably okay and it's like mustafa ali's trying to earn a living you know
1: yeah mustafa ali was just on main event with ricochet like yeah, you know, like which another thing, like somehow like, Mustafa Ali and Ricochet took like the brightest stars that WWE like had under had um you know up until up until Mustafa Ali gets injured and Kofi Kingston winds up taking a spot and Kofi has his magical run. Mustafa Ali was was meant for all of those spots, exactly. Um, and obviously, like you know the the WWE way, once you get injured, you lose your spot. Uh, Ricochet just they tampered with him too much. So he kind of lost all the coolness that he had. And yeah, like, I think, I I really think, uh, I've had conversations with people about, you know, how much do you really believe the things that you're saying if you still sign with WWE? You know, with Zack Sabre Jr., um, especially in some of Brock's uh, writing work. And even like you know other conversations like, the idea of like how socialist are you, how like you know how like how are like how are you you know so pro all this stuff, but then you took WWE money even if you didn't sign you took WWE money like being a Sami Zayn or a, uh or Mustafa Ali, even like you know belonging to certain minority groups how much do you care like if you still went and took that WWE contract and I I feel like that's like at that point like that's not for me to judge like you know for, for me at that point I'll leave that up to the person uh the individual that signed there to to, to judge that but for me an- another one another one in the in the vein of Mustafa Ali all that made me super uncomfortable at the time what was happening are you are you familiar with Darius Lockhart
0: no I I don't believe I am Okay, so
1: Darius Lockhart is a wrestler more involved in the North Carolina scene. Uh, Worked CWF when CWF was a thing and uh, has been a part of PWX in uh, different capacities. And I was aware of Darius Lockhart for a long time and then eventually Darius Lockhart starts this uh, revolutionary gimmick where he comes out and puts his fist up and wears a black leather jacket and he's you know supporting black lives matter. Now, Joseph, would you like to get guess what kind of character Darius Lockhart was playing and whether he was a bad guy or a good guy? Oh no. <laughs> yes, he was a black radical that was getting booed for saying for having black lives was. matter on his trunks.
0: I mean, of course and he it was. made
1: yeah, and it made me very very uncomfortable. Uh like something I talked about publicly on podcasts. Like, how uncomfortable that made me. And when it actually got changed, and he had a baby face, and people are going along with it, it was cool. I was relieved somewhat. But the willingness to boo him, just based off what he was... You know, I get it. He's being presented as a heel. When someone's presented as a heel, you just boo them. Mm -hmm. But, like, I don't know how you see what Darius Lockhart is doing, what Darius Lockhart represents, and then you want to boo him. And that also goes in line with like misconceptions of the Black Panthers and the Black Liberation Army and like the black radical uh people of the uh nineteen of the nineteen sixties and seventies. So like I so, like for like white people, and especially like white people in the South who like weren't exposed to like uh those kind of groups necessarily because those were more Midwest, West Coast and East Coast things, more like you know, the, the Black the Black Panthers were. I can't understand like, like you know, like oh well, fuck it, like let's boo him. But it's, it's, it's a similar thing with the with Mustafa Ali that just felt so tone deaf. Even if it wasn't Darius Lockhart's doing, oh maybe, maybe even if it was his doing, if it, even if he was like, I'll use this character as a heel, uh, or if it was PWX's doing to want to want him as a heel. I don't know, but again, that was like three years ago now. I had that feeling three years ago. And it's only been getting more amplified and amplified as these things go on. Uh, the, la- the last uh, question pertaining to this particular subject is we talked about how, how when you're streaming something, you're not necessarily paying the wrestlers directly, which uh, is a way that I feel like me and you can help cope with with what we might be supporting. But then obviously as, as we're talking, I, I kept thinking about the argument of like, okay, well you're still giving your seven, $8 a month to a company that still employs this person, a company that still books this person. So I think in closing, it's just going back to what we said, like there is no real line to draw here. And if sure. someone just, and if someone just wants to up and leave wrestling, Feel and doesn't free. want to, yeah, like, 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 trust, like, you're way better than I am. If you, if you're just like, fuck it, I can't do it anymore because of these things, I get it, but it just goes to our bigger point that even if you have a good point, which I feel like the idea that like these wrestlers aren't getting paid off streams is that like at the end of the day, you're still putting money in someone's pocket that is employing that person and is probably
0: aware of what is going on. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I, I don't think it's some big, like, hero stance or anything, you know. Um, I'm, I'm absolutely holding my hands up that it's just totally a personal coping mechanism of how I rationalize my viewing habits. And, you know, I, I it, it's it's a genuine struggle uh, for anyone who's speaking about wrestling, who is a wrestling fan. Um, where does your money go, you know? Uh, who do you want to say is a good wrestler? Uh, is it okay to say that a bad person is a good wrestler? Like, you know, I've been thinking a lot recently about how I'm doing these year-in reviews, and dude, I've man, been f- man, like, man, trust
1: me, like I'm doing like the
0: the best of the decade.
1: Like, yeah, I'm doing the, like I'm doing the best of the decade this year Ugh. instead of instead of doing like in like all those Brits. <laughs> yeah, but it, like, and it's like, dude, like can't do it without having David Starr on there like it's hard like like you know like to me like it's I get it but then it's like I just forget everything that he did the entire decade especially in the last like uh, three, three years of some change and how high he was on every single wrestler of the year list that was being made like I, I don't know. It's hard. It's hard for me to do that without feeling like then my list isn't complete or sure. not accurate. So like again, but well that's that's completely my fault for having like an obsessive brain that like I need things to be accurate to how I view wrestling and not accurate to how I see like the world. I right, and, and like yeah, everyone's
0: go everyone's gonna have you know their own philosophy and how to approach that and their own experience. Like you know. Uh, hearing these things about David Starr it'll probably ruin his matches for a lot of people people will go back to watch it and just not like it anymore and that's absolutely fine you know please feel free to not enjoy the matches with the bad person in it but like even me I've been thinking like doing some mental gymnastics over how I would feel right now bad about redoing my uh 2019 wrestler of the year list right like if I if I did my wrestler of the year list now uh, David Starr wouldn't be on there because I don't want him there uh, I I don't want to represent him in that way and yet at the same time I feel like I could do a 2000s list and put Chris Benoit in a top 20 like it's a you, weird thing you, you, know, you know what it is I think, I think it's like
1: the closeness to it like it's still so raw on some level, because it just happened. Sure. Like, obviously, like time, like doesn't fix everything, but it can like, if it doesn't heal something, it'll at least like make you more comfortable and accepting of what something is. Sure. And while like at the time with Benoit, like from ever like, from everywhere from like the company that com- the company he worked for, from the way he was regarded online was like completely scrubbed, in a lot of ways. You know, as people then came down and relaxed and there's those people who can't watch Chris Benoit walk. Cause of what he did. And obviously that's perfectly understandable and okay. And then for some people, like as time goes on and you get more understanding of the case and what happened and the situation, you are able to separate that a little bit. And it's, it's wrestling. Wrestling is really weird. You know, where it's it really is a space that exists where you can watch you can watch someone that my you know some people can watch someone that got murdered that murdered two people thirteen years ago, but the guy that was uh getting 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 dragged over the coals for defending his friend instinctually against a rape accusation like we like we don't want to see him anymore. And obviously both of those things are bad. But it's 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 a thing where like, like you don't like I, like the line really doesn't really exist. It's always going to be how you feel and you make your own judgment. But as wrestling fans and I feel like, you know, as fans of any kind of media, it always is going to be that 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 line for you. Um
0: right, and there's other factors too. Stuff like, you know, Chris Benoit is dead. He's not benefiting from anything that anyone's doing ever again, right? Exactly, yeah. Whereas, you know, David Starr, uh, Max Barsky exists in this world, and, you know, who knows what he'll attempt to do to get back into the industry, make a living off of this again, you know? So there's so much at play, and it's difficult, but it's something that everyone has to struggle and continue coping with in their own individual ways.
1: So so I have a friend, like, I have a friend, and, like, I I might say some people that you might might not be as familiar with. I don't... I don't don't think you're a big rap guy, right? Especially, like, just, like, what we consider mainstream rap.
0: I used to be. I used to know a little more rap music than I do now. Um, so I'm gonna go... you 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 haven't heard the name NBA Youngboy before, have you,
1: right? No, I have not. Okay. Um... I have a friend that is really, really adamant on not supporting NBA Youngboy and thinks he's a piece of shit and he treats women poorly. There's videos of him um, abusing a woman that he was in a relationship with. Uh, Granted, NBA Youngboy is, it makes no excuse, but NBA Youngboy is 20 years old and grew up in a very impoverished area of Louisiana with no guidance or parental figures to really steer him in a better direction. But, you know, this person is really adamant that, hey, like, I understand the circumstances, but he's still a bad person. Like, I can understand that. But this same person will also have no problem playing a Melanie Martinez song. And Melanie Martinez has been accused by two people of sexual assault. So it's like even like even, even there where it's like yeah you think you're taking a noble cause by standing up to one person and standing up to one person's uh you know disgraceful actions you're still deciding that this person this person's actions are more of an offense than someone being accused of doing this other thing and I, 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 that was just more to say how it goes beyond wrestling it just goes into anything that we want to consume or talk about that It's always going to be like what you want to deem as I don't like this person for this. And, hey, it might be flimsy. It might be hypocritical. But if that's what makes you comfortable, if that's what you're what you find comfort in, you feel like, you know, that's your line. Then, you know, I can't I can't budge you off of your line.
0: Sure. And it's it's not a question that's ever going to go away. Uh, It can't go away. Uh, simply because of the industry's history, you know. Uh, so many of these icons of the industry, they're terrible people. Uh, the guy at the top of the heap, Vince McMahon, has been accused of horrible things. Beyond just being a bad booker and a terrible businessman. You his, know? Own, his, own, his own
1: sexual assault cases. Exactly. Bribe, bribing bribing cops to say they have a murder trail. Um... And all the other corrupt, damaging shit he's done to people, he's been he he's employed, uh, or been or been around. Like it starts it starts from the top, and like yeah,
0: the industry the industry is bad all the way to the very tippy top, and all the way down to the bottom. Like there's just no getting around that, and the thing to do is to try to speak in ways that could potentially make it better for everyone involved. But, you know, that's just one of the facts of these things is that top to bottom, it's bad. There's bad people top to bottom.
1: Uh, to close this show out, and Joseph I had a really good time uh, talking to you and getting to pick your brain a little bit and talk about this really weird and tough time. But... Getting back to more of our nerdy aspects of being just wrestling fans. Obviously, I do the year-end stuff all the time. I do the top 50 wrestlers and top 100 matches of each year. I've been doing that since 2016. But something about this year and how broken up and disjointed it feels and just how off everything is, I couldn't bring myself in good faith to to talk about a year in depth like this where it feels like maybe one I wouldn't have much to say because everything feels so off and two it would feel weird to give it that same treatment when it feels like the year isn't complete and maybe you're not getting the best effort from these guys you know due to circumstances and maybe just you know, like you know the the lack of free, the lack of frequent frequent uh, you know frequency on getting to see wrestling unless it's, you know you're Big major companies like AEW and WWE and and uh and, and New Japan, the amount of wrestling is just down even now. Um, so that's what caused me to go with doing the decade list instead. For for you, I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, still staying here. Like you know, it's hard for me to do that, but you know, Okada versus Naito still happened. Okada mm-hmm. versus Naito is a match that like I i regard as was going to go down as an all-time great match like the masawa kabashi from 2003 of this new japan era i really feel like that's a classic legendary feather on top of this era match that because of the year it happened in it might kind of get lost in time somewhat so i already made my decision based off What I'm gonna do and what and what I'm gonna try here. Maybe at some point I'll go back in 2020 and rewatch stuff and try to do a more complete list instead of like falling off of it due to the other things that were swirling through my head. But for you, as someone that does try to do like your year-end stuff and give your opinion on what you thought the best of the year was, do you count 2020 really as like a complete year?
0: Um, in wrestling? Uh, To me, it doesn't matter if it's a complete year or not. I think... I think especially because of the difficulty of the year that it should be covered. Uh, I will be doing a year-end video for sure. There's going to be a match of the year list. There's going to be a wrestler of the year list. And it's because of the circumstances that that list... That exercise in covering wrestling in a calendar year will be more fascinating I think it, the discussion will be more interesting because of it uh, because of exactly what the topic of this podcast has been to see how people adjusted to see who made the best of the absolute worst situation that there could be and I think celebrating those accomplishments is particularly important in a year where everything is so difficult celebrating those uh, you know little pockets of just joy and enjoyment in this crazy art form is even more necessary so I think it absolutely counts and in some ways it might count even more because of how it's been it was was a
1: conversation uh... To you know, re- reach reach across an, an, entertainment mediums again. It was a conversation with the NBA too. Is that being in the bubble and being in such a different circumstance for uh, these things, playing playing on neutral ground all the time? There's no home. There's no home court advantage. There's no advantage to having like your rowdy fans there to make noise and do this, and do that, and create this atmosphere that throws off the visiting team. Because of that, do people? Uh, or in any advantage, people theorized there was an advantage on shooting on the same rims and baskets every every uh, every other day and every day. So people people thought about, well, do we count the NBA champion who wins in the bubble the same way that we count it any other year? And for me, it, it kind of like what, what was the same answer that you gave here. Is I actually count it? I might count it more because. This is such like the purest version of basketball that that we're going to see. This isn't something influenced by outside circumstances, by crowd noise and atmospheres and all that kind of stuff. This purely straight up who is better at basketball. And I think for me, in how I view it, that made me view as whoever wins the NBA title here, which will probably wind up being the Los Angeles Lakers. As I view this, as more like this is a defi- this is a definitive championship ring because this wasn't about anything else. It's about who is the best at basketball. So when I say that and then look apply that kind of apply that kind of thing to wrestling, like I can see that why, like well, I can see when you go back and do your end of the year stuff, why like you know what you know what this is going to come back to wrestling in its purest form. This is this isn't gonna be influenced by how over someone is, or uh, how good this other thing is. It's basically gonna be how good is how good is the wrestling, how much did I like the wrestling, and certain people have advantages there. Like it's, I feel like a Timothy Thatcher, if he keeps getting opportunities, definitely has definitely has an advantage here. A uh, Daniel Bryan, if he decided to come back and like you know really really get in the mix of stuff, definitely has an advantage here, but. I I can definitely see your point, and may it may be some point down the line, I want to come back to twenty twenty and try to do more of a uh, over overhaul, overall comprehensive uh, list. But just write this, just write this year with everything going on. It w- it wouldn't have felt right. But I I've, I I completely understand your desire that because this is such an off year, you can't not talk about it.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's such a unique environment and, you know, social milieu for everything that's going on that it demands to be talked about. It demands to be uh, documented because it's going to be so significant uh, down the line. This will inform so much of what wrestling can and will be three, four, five years in the future. So. I think that's why I'm particularly motivated and dedicated to really seeing as much as I can and discussing the year um, when the time comes in the same way I would discuss any other year in whether it's 1990 in my video or whatever else I feel like that treatment is particularly important this year
1: all right everything on our rundown she has been touched on joseph i want to thank you again so much for uh finding the time to come on come onto the podcast i know you're not someone that i mean i feel i've know you done podcasts but i know that's not like a regular thing that you do obviously you're doing your video essays and uh running your youtube page and trying to put out that content but um really it was wonderful talking to you uh i would love to do this again and Maybe you know, maybe like you know, just do one do on a wrestler, uh, or um, a certain, like a real specific like you know wrestling topic without all the extra stuff attached, like I like I do with uh, like I do with like I do with Brock and other people. So really, thank you for your thank you for your time, man.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me. I had a really great time. Uh, it's been super cool to be on this podcast that I've been a fan of for so long. So thanks for having me.
1: Uh, Joseph, before before you go, I want to let you. Let like to tell, tell tell everybody, and I, I I imagine everyone that listens to this podcast is already aware of you. Um, <laughs> but ju- but but just so, you know we're clear. Like, what if you can say, uh, what you have possibly coming up, anything that you may have like in plans that you haven't necessarily gotten started yet. Anything that you want to give your Twitter. All that stuff. Get all, get all your plugs out the way.
0: Sure. You can find me on Twitter at Joseph Weirdness. Uh, my YouTube channel is Joseph Montecilio. Uh, I'm currently very slowly uh, working on a new very large project. Uh, a lot of people who follow me on Twitter have already figured out what it is. Uh, it's it's a fun one and I'm excited to get that out. That's probably coming out either end of October, start of November. Uh, I mentioned it here. You can definitely expect a 2020 year in review um, January uh, or February, depending on how uh, intensive that will be. Uh, but yeah, just check me out. I talk about wrestling. Uh, I like it. I don't like it. Uh, I'll let you know, and I'll try to explain why.
1: And once once again, thank you for your time. Um, I'm gonna try to do another psychology is dead before we get to the best of the decade stuff. Um, I have to go. I have to go. Wind up getting that scheduled. But obviously, as you know by but know by now, here don't hold me to any promises that I may make. Um, thank you all for listening, and hope
0: you're here next time. You hate me, then you hatin' on yourself My head around the wig, I'm like a belt Well, so hard to get Keep it anonymous Cause once the public figures out Targets ain't all to hit So proceed with caution I'll be supporting for things your function can get The B from Austin, you see he got sent to be so fortunate Mrs. Mr. Whoever
1: I pray All the time, all the shit Sadly, I see things I thought would change all the time all the same i don't want shit. i just called to say how's your day can't complain my phone open to you